On this episode of Video Culture, we'll talk Ghostbusters. No, not those guys. The Frighteners and Beetlejuice. Did you rewind it? I don't know. In a time where everyone has a podcast. In a place where everyone has an opinion. Two heroes, Matthew and Ryan, against all odds, are here to save your movie viewing experience from total disaster. Your trip through the video aisles of yesteryear begins now. There will be chills, there will be thrills, and there's a good chance that Ryan will have a coffee spill. They'll discuss the quality, cultural significance, and more detail, frankly, than you bargained for. Here's your host, Ryan Acri and Matthew Essery. And welcome to another episode of Video Culture. I'm your host, Ryan Acri. And I'm Matthew Essery. And once again, we have our other special guests who joined us for our last episode. He had so much fun. And we were doing a movie that he loved so much, The Frighteners, that he wanted to come back and join us again. So we welcomed him back. So, Patrick. Yes, that is me. I am Patrick. All what right. is your last name, Patrick? We, for the people yeah, who don't just know. Just Patrick. Like, Patrick yeah. Bartlett. Okay. Patrick, Patrick Bartlett. Bartlett. Yeah. He's the, he's the quote-unquote staff writer at Video Culture. He has been, for the longest time, our, our silent uh, third member. Uh, he's like our fifth Beatle. Um <laughs> So fifth yeah, beetle for the three of us. So yeah, that yeah. works. Yeah. So, so, now, so now we're like a, a weird pseudo trio. But uh, anyway, no. But yeah. So so yeah. So the last episode, for those of you who didn't hear, said, "Hey, we're doing the frighteners." Said, oh, well, if I'm doing the frighteners, I'm I'm gonna be on. Like, okay, we can't say no. So I would take personal offense if I wasn't invited to do the frighteners. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll I'll let you begin. Uh, well, because we'll first start talking about the Frighteners. W- what is it that you love so much about this movie? Just literally everything. It's like a lot of people. I remember, like, especially like after like the Lord of the Rings came out, and everybody was just like talking about their favorite Peter Jackson movie. And it's like you would mostly have people that would say like Lord of the Rings was their favorite, like either picking one or like the whole thing, or like, you'd have the occasional person who would like mention like one of his horror things, like Dead Alive, Brain Dead. Uh, or like the occasional person, very rarely, who would say like heavenly creatures, and I was always the one guy who was like, no, 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 the Frighteners. The Frighteners is by far the best movie he has ever made. Like that was the peak of like all of his like weird horror stuff that he had done like before. It's kind of the perfect midpoint of mm-hmm. like when he kind of went from being horror guy to being big filmmaker Hollywood guy. Yeah. Like the Frighteners, even though I don't think it made any money. Is like <laughs> right in the middle of right. like kind of like his graduation, and it's like it's perfect because it's like the best of both worlds to me. All right, yeah, the, you actually summed that up very well. That's why was going to be one of my talking points. Is it really is? It's like it's like his transition period. It's like it's like his puberty stage between being this little indie horror director and then being this guy who only makes these excessive, ultra long, uh, epic films. And it's like this perfect midpoint in its transition. 
Like mm. this is his cinematic voice breaking, basically. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it was done in 1996. Before he did Lord of the Rings, before he did King Kong, uh, before he did uh, all that stuff, and beforehand he did a couple of movies that you mentioned, uh, Brain Dead, uh, Heavenly Creatures. He did uh, kind of before that, uh, Bad Taste. Um, so, but I mean, if you're if you're like me, who wasn't like kind of like the scene or or that cool, like I, I didn't really know who Peter Jackson was in, until you know Lord of the Rings or whatever, and then you know you kind of like kind of go back and then. Uh, but you also realize, like, a lot of people, um, you know, because it stars Michael J. Fox is the main, you know, character. And, and uh, you know, since, you know, Back to the Future and all the other Back to the Fu- Future movies and Teen Wolf and all that other kind of stuff, like, uh, you don't really see a lot of Michael J. Fox. So, it's like, okay, here's another cool, uh, you know, Michael J. Fox movie where he actually gets to play, like, an adult, like, not a kid doing, like, kid stuff, right? Uh, and yeah. then he's doing like ghostly kind of scary things, right? So, I mean, this was a movie that was rated R at the time. And yes, you're right. It is not a super hugely popular film, although has somewhat of a following because of that. I think those two reasons because of, you know, Peter Jackson and Michael J. Fox. Well, I'm, I'm just going to go say it has a, it has a following because of, uh, because I mean, horror guys have dis- discovered it, and it became it's really to me it's the kind of show that, the kind of the kind of movie that our show is actually built on the foundation of, and that's Frighteners to me is a true cult classic. Okay. It really is. It was yeah, a movie that was not successful at the time, okay, uh, but has grown in esteem over time. Um, <coughs> but yeah, but yeah. So Michael J. Fox, he he didn't make a lot of movies. That's one thing we talked about before we when we had. <laughs> When we discussed other Michael J. Fox movies on the show, he did a lot of television work, and now you know he's retired because of his of his health issues. Um, but he never made a lot of he never made a lot of big movies. I always thought he was a, he was a great movie star. But he's 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 a lot of acting chops, but he's good with like blockbuster roles as well. But he never did a lot of that kind of stuff. So to me, that's one reason I, I really uh, treasure the Frighteners is because it's a it's a very rare movie for Michael J. Fox. Right. Yeah. No, I think like yeah, no, I agree. That's like but at the same time it was like that's what I I see him as a film actor because like I didn't grow up with like family. T- I mean, I was I guess I did, but I was like a child. So like mm. I know him mostly from like Back to the Future and like the sequels and like The Frighteners and like Doc Hollywood and like Casualties of War and like mm-hmm. stuff like that. So like I don't even think of him as a TV actor personally. Yeah. Right. But, but by the way, but good, good shout out on Kellen Casualties of War. That's probably one yeah. of the most depressing war films ever made. <laughs> right. uh, yes, it is. But but he's great. Yeah. He, he is such a Michael J. Fox is such a good haunted, and that's uh, ties into this because Michael J. Fox is such a good haunted look, mm-hmm. and uh, and he really uses it uh, really effectively in Casualties of War. But we're not talking about that. But um, but he's got these great expressive eyes, mm-hmm. and he uses that 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 gaze of his a lot in this film. And I like I said, he does really good work here. It's a I mean. Like, it makes me sad watching this movie that he didn't do more films because his filmography is pretty small, considering what a big star he was. Well, let's, no, that's, that's legit. That's fair. Yeah, let's. Uh, well, let's first go over the uh, the kind of the plot synopsis, uh, if you will. So, uh, because I I had not you know seen this movie, and I know that you Matt you said that it, I mean it has a huge. Well, I mean it has a following of of. The, the kind of like the diehard fans that really, really appreciate this movie, right? Um, 
and it may not have been appreciated for its time, but I mean, I'd, I'd never seen it myself. But after a car accident in which his wife, Deborah, was killed and he was injured, Frank Bannister developed psychic abilities allowing him to see, hear, and communicate with ghosts. After losing his wife, he then gave up his job as an architect, letting his unfinished dream house sit incomplete for years and put these skills to use by befriending a few ghosts and letting them, getting them to uh, haunt houses in the area to drum up worth for ghost-busting business. Then Frank proceeds to exercise the houses for a fee. But when he discovers that an entity resembling the Grim Reaper is killing people, making marking their numbers on their forehead beforehand, Frank tries to help the people whom the Reaper is after. That was written by Anthony uh, uh, Piera, you know, uh, on IMDb. And, you know, I find it interesting because... Um, this really takes like a, uh, it really kind of has like a goofball, almost like a goofball beginning where you have, you know, these characters, these ghosts that he's interacting with. He, you know, you know, you can see him kind of like, he's kind of a CD, you know, Michael J. Fox kind of plays this CD character where he's kind of a con man, uh, conning people, you know, using the ghosts and even the ghosts are unhappy with them. They're making complaints that they're, you know. They don't like riding in the trunk, or they don't like doing this or that or the other, or they don't like doing what whatnot. You know, there's even a scene, you know, early on where he's in the shower and they're popping up in the shower, saying, "Hey, man, we got to talk." You know, and uh, but you know, and and he's like, "Yeah." Then there's this whole problem of like, you know, he needs money, otherwise his house is going to get like repossessed by the the bank, so he needs to make more money. But then that all like. Because of this Grim Reaper character, all of that takes a back seat because then it becomes like this this horror chase between to try to find like what what is actually like really going on. Yeah. Well, the, the yeah, to- it's like revenge, essentially, because like he realizes that the person like because his his wife had the numbers carved into her head, and all the people that he's seeing with the numbers carved in the, it's like so it becomes once he figures out who did this the same killer, then it becomes the whole thing of him going after that killer, which I think is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they, they drop seats to that throughout the very beginning of the film too, where, where he gets spooked by the numbers. He gets spooked by the guys dressing up the Grim Reaper in like a joking way. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I, I appreciate about the film to kind of, for the people who haven't seen the Frighteners, which I imagine is going to be a lot of the people who listen to this, um, the tone I would describe it as, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but, but I was thinking about this as I was rewatching it today. Um, it really reminds me of the darker Amblin films. Oh yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as sure as you guys have yeah, this, this, this is a Mechas connection with Back to the Future and all of that, but uh, but it has got kind of that kind of like Gremlins tone to it in a way. Well, yeah, yeah. that was like I guess the Zemeckis thing came from the I guess the movie was originally supposed to be like uh, a Tales from the Crypt movie. Then yeah, they were but, like, yeah. this is too good to be a Tales from the Crypt movie. And I'm like, but this, th- th- first of all, that's just mean because Demon Knight is rad. But like, second of all, I was like, I mean, at the very least, I don't know how you connect this. Because I mean, because it does have a similar vibe because the Tales from the Crypt stuff was like horror comedy as well. But I feel like uh, the Tales from the Crypt stuff has kind of a more of a grimy feeling to it. Whereas this is much more like, as you said, the, the Amblin thing. So it's kind of got a, like a lighter tone to it, even mm-hmm. though yeah. there's some like dark dark yeah. stuff that happens well, I mean, and like yeah even cgi e- gore yeah well even the scene 
where he's like uh, Michael J. Fox's uh, character, Frank Bannister, is trying to convince the people that like their house is haunted or whatever. Some of that scene like just totally reminded me of Poltergeist. Like they're in the kitchen even and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's almost and he even mentioned this is like a Poltergeist. He uses that word. Yeah. And yeah, it, 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 I think it follows, you know, a lot of that. And even, uh, even the town is like kind of a smaller, you know, coastal town or whatever as well. Like it could have been like a, a northwest town, you know, for example. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be. In, it's supposed to be in the Pacific Northwest. It's it's once you once you once you've seen the Lord of the Rings films, you can tell it's clearly filmed in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's clearly supposed to be in like the Pacific Northwest of America. Right, but. Uh, but you mentioned how the tone uh, is different than, say, like a, the Tales of Crypt movies, like like Demon Knight. That's all. That's all due to to really Peter Jackson, because if you because if you look at the actual content of the script and what happens in the story, there's a much seedier version of this movie that could exist. There's a darker yeah. version of this movie that could exist. Yeah. But but Peter Jackson has such a playful tone with no, his like weird no, with like right. his, with his weird zooms and like. He, when he encourages people to to have a, a moment of overacting, it kind of lightens it, you know. Like he yeah. really, really masters the tone of being spooky, but also a little bit comical. Like it's almost got a Looney Tunes quality sometimes. Yeah, that I actually remember. I, I heard him say something where he's like, uh, I think it was in the commentary um, where he talks about like when he does like the little bit where spoilers, uh, um, where like he blows somebody's head off. I'm not going to yeah. say who it is because that would be wrong. Um, <laughs> But, like, somebody gets their head blown off, mm-hmm. and it's, like, the CGI, and he's, like, see, the coolest thing for me, he's, like, is the idea of using these for, like, a splatter film, like, using mm-hmm. these kind of effects for, like, a splatter film. And I was, like, yeah, no, that actually is legit. Like, I was just, like, the way that he kind of, like, makes even stuff that, now, cause now you say that, that is true. Like, the stuff that, like, in other hands would come off more, like... Well, I mean, gross, than, like, more, yeah. like, playful and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, the, there's definitely yeah. a nasty version of this film. There's there's like a mean spirited version of this movie that could easily exist. Oh yeah, no, but at times it felt like uh you know a, a really dark like kind of like Who Framed Roger Rabbit kind of you know kind of thing going on right yeah. between the ghost but and he, all those stuff. Yeah, he but he really shifts it back and forth very well. Even when they're doing like the intense flashbacks at the end, where you're seeing like the murder spree of of, of the villains. That's straight horror movie stuff. But he does a good job of balance of of shifting it back and forth enough where it's not overbearing. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it feels ju- it feels just dangerous enough so you believe the stakes. Uh-huh. But it's not. It doesn't feel like you're watching a horror film, right? But I mean, I thought the scenes like, uh, for example, the uh, interaction between um, uh, Frank Bannister and the Arlie Army, you know, like army character, you know, like they were fighting over the guy, go- you know, that kind of stuff. Where it's like, you know, he's not there. Like it's all like the CGI, but then it's. Yeah, you know, kind of there, whatever. There's like this playful kind of thing happening going on. Yeah, it's definitely got you're right. It's got a real, like, it's got a real cartoony quality to it. Not in a bad way. It just feels almost in like a imagination run rampant kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like you can well, tell yeah, that I mean, they're having. That's true of his. Like that's true of like all of his like early horror stuff. Yeah, it's like, I mean, like Bad Taste has that vibe. Dead Alive has that vibe. Like, well, no, who yeah. who was the guy that played the uh, the FBI agent guy? <laughs> like uh, Jeffrey freaking Combs. Jeffrey Combs, <laughs> the re- right? Yeah, the the, I mean, the the reanimator himself. Damn right. Yeah, <laughs> Jeffrey Combs again. The, the reanimator from Beyond, a B horror movie legend. 
and he is a god among men. Wow. He is so he is so enjoyable in this movie, and he's so full of weird tics and like yeah. strangeness and uh, like he's I mean, so, he, he's so he fun almost to watch. stole the show almost you know by himself. You know what I mean? Like yeah. He, oh, yeah. he was so captivating. He was almost more captivating than the actual bad guys to me. Really, yeah. I mean, because he was almost like the bad guy because there's. You know, because that that was like p- kind of the plot, like the 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 tug of war between you know him and the actual you know killers and the ghost and all that kind of stuff. He's more he's more fun than Ghost Jake Busey. Uh, <laughs> it's what it comes down to. I mean, yeah. I mean, Jake B- Jake B- Jake Busey's murder milf girlfriend is is fun. Yeah, but I uh, think, I, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. let's 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 dial that. Like, I think Ghost Jake Busey is very fun. Like, I can't yeah. say a lot of good things about Jake Busey in most movies, but like this, I think Jake Busey's he's spot on, no, and I like no. Jake Busey in this yeah. a lot. He, he's good, but he gets, but he's he's not as inter- he's nowhere near as interesting as what Combs is doing. Well, yeah, yeah with his weird right. like yeah. like paranormal FBI agent, you know? Yeah. For well, sure. yeah, but like that was like, like way Fritz, deep. Like Reanimator, he's like the third lead, and he still is like the steals the movie. It becomes his franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, and why does Jake Busey always play seedy characters? Because it's just his look vibe. At his face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I've, 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 I've met him in person. He's a little bit unsettling. Uh, yeah, I mean, didn't he also like ruin the the thing in Contact? Right, like like blow the thing up. Like, and you know, anyway. I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's I don't know. It's like it's, I mean, like why? I mean, why did Gary Busey all, all, almost exclusively play villains? Because they, they there's a vibe. There's okay. a Busey vibe. There's a weird kind of like he's unsettling kind of person. Yeah, they both have a chaotic energy that I did not want to be around. I've met both of them. They were both very nice. They both made me very uncomfortable. You met Jeffrey Combs too? <laughs> no, no, I, I, no, no, I'm done by. Don't know about Gary oh, Busey and Jake Busey. Oh wow! Yeah, I met both of them, and they—they they were both incredibly nice. They gave me no reason to not like them, uh, but they—they just—they're unsettling. That's all I can say. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, we, we, whenever we do an episode with Gary Busey, I'll tell you my Gary Busey story about how Gary Busey was so nice to me, but terrified me. But now <laughs> is not the time. Fair enough. That's that sounds like an interesting story. Okay. We'll save that for but later. anyway. All right. Let's but yeah, so, uh, but yeah uh, Combs is fun. Yeah. Combs is amazing. Point. Like, yeah, I remember yeah. I saw this about the first time that I saw Reanimator. And, like, it was why to this day, like, I, whenever I, because I used to, like, desperately be trying to, like, make, like, make my own movies and stuff. And every, every script I would write, I'd be like, is there a way I can somehow involve Jeffrey Combs in this? Like, I was like, cause he might theoretically do it. Like I was like, he like, yeah. he's like, he's not, he's high to me. He's a God, but like in terms of like the acting totem pole, like he's somebody I could theoretically send the script and be like, Hey buddy, like, yeah. you think you want to do this? But, but, to, yeah. but to me, and I don't, I don't mean to be like mad. I don't probably get people like really mad at me f- for this, but he just seems like, uh, like like Bruce Campbell, but like on twelve or fourteen or something like that. Like, was well, a different. Uh, they have a different vibe. Like, I feel like Jeffrey has a more kind of like internalized weirdo like fear element, mm-hmm. and like Bruce Campbell has like that bravado and machismo. Yeah. Okay. So it's like they bring different B movie vibes, but they definitely are both B movie. Yeah. Yeah. Icons. I, they're they're I, both I, I down mean, to eleven, you. yeah, but they're but, but in different but with different like vibes for sure. But I mean, um, I could see I could see Bruce Campbell doing this character. I don't know if he would do as good of a job 
as you know what Combs did and be you know that that internal and be like that you know um i don't know what the like he was he was just so like focused he, he sort so, of he sort of he sort of, he sort of slimy but yes. but focused exactly well, like bruce would have been a little he's weaselly. too right but bruce would have been too like bruce would have been too likable right as a yeah. as a kind of an agent right like this guy yeah, gets, like, yeah. Like even when Campbell does like bravado, you still kind of like him because it's it's Bruce Campbell. You just can't help but like him. He he's got he's got charisma, mm-hmm. as they say. Right. Uh, I, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So we got to talk about some of the other characters in this too. Yeah. Like it's got again Jake Busey in it is in it. Chief McBride's in it as as, yep. as one of the ghosts. Cyrus, um, uh, yeah, he play, uh Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I love how they they put them all in an era, right? The like Cyrus, yeah. he was like the seventies. You know, it looked like he just like you know fell out of disco or whatever. Uh, the other guy was like from the some like from the Civil War or whatever. You know, the, uh, oh yeah, we, uh, we got to mention yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, mention the great John Aston. John Aston, yeah, was, yeah. yeah from the John Adams Aston, family. Yeah, yeah. the like, Adams family. I'm falling apart. He's got incredible makeup. <laughs> his his the the ma- his makeup is amazing. Like his jaw is like half yeah. hanging off, and uh, the dog's oh, running such, off such with stuff. my jaw. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, in general, too, is like we talk about the characters, but like the effects, both the CGI and the makeup effects in this are awesome. Yeah. Like, I love all of it. Like, even the stuff that like is admittedly, I mean, like it's early CGI, so it's kind of a little bit dated. I'll grant you that. But I was like, to me, it still works because it's so cool. Like, it's still it's yeah. so cool to look at. It's so creative. It's it's full yeah. of a real creative energy. And I and I'm going to tell you at the time it did not look it did not look it did not look bad at all. It looked amazing. Okay. Like all, all the wall push stuff. It looked really cool at the time. Now, yes, it looks like cheap CGI. But mm. uh but so it has such an inventiveness to it. It has such a again a playful quality that you can't help but like it. It just kind of works with the kind of cartoony uh vibe of, of of a lot of the scenes. Well, it was uh, man. I had this in the nose, but I mean, most of the uh, like CGI special effects were done by um, Peter Jackson's own like um, company or whatever. Weta, well, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I heard it, the, I, he, right. I, he talked about it on the thing where he was the reason he created Weta was for this, and mm-hmm. then he was just like. He then he had all the computers sitting around. He's like, I don't know what the hell to do with these. We're just literally we just wasted a bunch of money if we don't use it again. <laughs> so we tried to think of another, like a bigger movie to do, yeah. and that's when he thought of Lord of the Rings. So yeah. like, so like Gollum and all of that was created by the by the same company. Like you can yeah. kind of like the progression kind of like went that way. But there was uh, the the dark shadowy figure, um, and part of the, I don't know exactly how much, but there was industrial light and magic was involved in the frighteners by a little bit because they just didn't have enough time or resources to do all the things that they wanted to do. So ILM was involved a, a, a little bit, but most of it was done by uh, Peter Jackson's own company. Um, so yeah, wet, wet, digital is what. Yeah. What, no, what and, and now they're like the biggest, like they're the, like they're, they're like the stamp of quality. If you see like them on something right. where at the time they weren't anything, they were just something that yeah. Peter Jackson created to do this movie, which is pretty cool. Yeah, like like back in the day, it used to be industrial light and magic was always what you heard about when you talked about you know effects houses. But now Weta is the effects house. Um, but but I want to stop for a second because we you know Patrick and I have talked a lot about how much we love this movie. We've loved this movie for a long time. Mm-hmm. We're glossing over a big thing here in our discussion, and that's the fact, Ryan, you had never seen this movie yeah. before. So just what did you think? Um, I I mean I 
I thought the plot was a little like too overcomplicated and too kind of weird to follow between like the the serial killers and all this other kind of stuff. That was interesting that you brought in Michael J. Fox because there is a kind of like a crossover point where he has to like go back, kind of like going back to the future where he has to like be like a dead you know person or or whatever. And then you like even complicate the plot even further by having this that other character that we already uh, uh, mentioned, like the FBI agent, and you know he's kind of like trying to you know stop the whole thing because he thinks it's all in like you know Frank Bannister's mind or whatever. Like that's what he's um, convinced of. So I mean, it's just like because uh, you kind of really don't get a really sense of what's going on, and I feel like that. I you know I would have more liked to see the movie like you know with with the ghost because I also felt like the the three ghosts that we met at the beginning like we hardly even saw them until like the very end like they were just like kind of there to kind of introduce and then it was kind of like oh then you're kind of on your own and and don't really be involved until until like we need you or whatever and I, it's just it's just kind of a weird kind of story to follow it's still fun adventure. It's still kind of like keeps you on your seat because you don't know what's going to happen and everything, you know, I felt like, uh, it's one of those movies kind of like, um, what was it? Like, uh, escape from LA or escape from New York where you come up with a plan and like nothing works out of that plan. <laughs> like nothing like, okay. So it was just kind of like, you just kind of have to wing it and then let the characters all figure it out. Um, so, it, I mean, it had a nice, you know, um, uh, a nice, you know, ending, you know, to the movie. It was nice and uh, um, entertaining and everything. But I, I mean, it was just kind of, it was just kind of, kind of strange for it all to to really follow. I think that's maybe why it didn't do so well, even though that it was filled with, you know, tons of action and tons of really cool special effects and tons of. Um, you know, like, um, you know, suspense and, um, you know, cause it really is kind of like a more of a thriller type of movie, more than a horror film. Well, I mean, the whole thing with like horror comedy is it's always, it never really does. I think like, the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that like horror comedy that does it really well is like gremlins. Cause like most of the time it's like people don't really like that combination. It seems like, or I guess ghostbusters is kind of the same thing, but like, it's just like it seems like people. That I mean, was, I guess, the whole thing of like um, when Landis was trying to get American Werewolf made, where it was like everybody was like, "It's mm -hmm. too funny to be scary, it's too scary to be funny," blah blah. And he's like, "No, like that's the point. Like that's why I trust me. Like let me like do this." And then like mm -hmm. he did it, and it was like, "Oh hey, this this does work." But mm -hmm. it's like it's very rare that it works like for a wide audience. It seems like it seems like something yeah. that like horror nerds like it's catnip. Like that's why like Peter Jackson was was. Like a big star in the horror community before he was a big star in just mainstream Hollywood with like Lord of the Rings. Cause like, you think this is weird, dude. Watch Dead Alive slash Brain Dead. Like, holy crap, man. Like, your world yeah. will be blown. <laughs> yeah. They, they, it, was, it was kind of his thing. And the, but the reason I wanted to, I wanted to focus on this for a moment, Ryan, is because, cause me and Patrick are very much in the weeds on this movie. Like, I mean, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I've seen it a bunch. He's seen it a bunch. I saw it back when it came out. Yeah. I'm sure he saw it back when it came out. Uh, and it's just we don't have perspective on it anymore. Uh huh. Uh, so and I, I, it's hard to remember what it was like to see it with fresh eyes. So that's why I wanted to hear your opinion. And you know, it's a perfectly valid opinion. It is a yeah. very overstuffed movie, and I, I get why 
it had disconnected with a lot of people because a lot of stuff happens in it. And the, yeah. the tone is really, it takes a lot of swings. Mm-hmm. And you either vibe with that or you don't. Um, like I said, I, I, I really dig it, but it's a lot of things I like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can totally get why it wouldn't connect with somebody uh, as well as it does me. Well, I, I, I think the horror comedy, uh, to what you were saying, Patrick, I think it either has to lean like one way or the other a little bit. Like Ghostbusters probably lean more towards, uh, you know, comedy. Like Shaun of the Dead, Army of Darkness. Like those are definitely like leaning more towards like the comedy aspect, but they're using horror as kind of like the the way they're kind of getting there. And but this well, yeah, was it, a, it, this it, was it's a balance, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, in this this and also like Beetlejuice, they're using more like uh like dark comedy or 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 whatever. But I just think that there was um. Um, there was a lot of development that just like went, uh, you know, cra- in, in a lot of crazy directions. I think that, um, might've, you know, might've overcomplicated things or whatever, especially when you're dealing with the afterlife and dead and what makes dead and how can you go through walls and how can you do this stuff? And then you have a dead person and a live person that are still working together as this, you know, serial killer team and, you know, it's it's kind of you know, I, I don't, it throws it throws a lot of rules at you. That's yeah, one thing I, I, I was thinking about as I was watching of, without a lot of explanation. Yeah, and it's a it's a movie that I think can be overwhelming the first time you see it, uh, especially if like, you don't know what it is. Right. Well, I mean, because you don't even understand why Frank Bannister can talk to the ghosts and nobody else can until like yeah, I don't know, a third through the movie. Yeah, well, and that's one reason why I, I love springing these things on you, Ryan, is because <laughs> you're, you're kind of you're kind of our 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 our, our, our test subject. Oh, uh, right. Well, I'm because, because go ahead because, because you're a clean slate. No, and I, I mean, I mean, I, and that's that's what I mean because you can watch stuff fresh and let me know how someone would look at it who doesn't have who's not just like consumed by this nonsense like mm-hmm. I am or like Patrick is apparently. Yeah. Um, so I mean. I, but that's, I, a, that's no, why I think your but, your input's right. valuable. But I I don't want to take away that I didn't like it or I didn't think that it, it is worthy. I I say that as a whole because I probably wouldn't give it you know like five out of five stars or whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> I will say I, 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 I will I'll give say it four like, and a half. But we'll get into okay. that. <laughs> but I will say the the you know uh, the the performances are fantastic um like i said before like the the um why can't i remember I, I, you got remember his name cuz uh um sorry uh the fbi agent um you know, jeffrey Combs does danvers yeah I mean, agent he danvers he does just such a just a darn good job um and i i just would have you know um I just might not have gone that dark with it, like myself. Like, uh, but you know, it, it's well, it's an enjoyable ride uh, with some great performances. But yeah, the storyline just get to me just gets a little too. Well, too, too I think rough. a lot of the critics agreed with you. Uh, so I mean, I so, mean, my my wife. Well, did, but, but we'll my, get into that. <laughs> just as of note, my wife did see it like when it came out. Because it came out in like '96, so that puts her like when she was probably in high school or something like that. Yeah, um, this was the 25th anniversary this year. Oh, okay. 
So uh, we're, we're all getting old, man. We're so. all getting. <laughs> yeah. We're all getting. But, old. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, but again, I think that perspective is is important because otherwise it would just be me and Patrick, you know, talking about details and like little little like nitpicky things about mm-hmm. it that we like, and but that's not that's not necessarily interesting, and you know, because I mean, I want to know what average people think about these things, and, mm-hmm. and I want to know what people who who have no preconceived notions of what Peter Jackson was or mm-hmm. what he was doing back then. I want to know what someone thinks about this, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think want... it might have been my first one. Like I think I, I definitely saw it like when it came out, and I don't think that I had seen. I mean, as because I was thirteen when it came out, so I was mm-hmm. like, I don't think that I had seen. I might have seen Dead Alive at that point. I don't honestly know. Mm-hmm. I definitely not seen Feebles or uh, <laughs> uh, Bad Taste. At that point. we're not getting into Meet the Feebles uh, at all. <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, well, we're not even talking about that one because uh, it's that's a whole because Ron will be like, what the what the f. But anyway, uh, um, anyway, but it was my first Peter Jackson movie. Yeah. I, I then saw, I saw, I saw Brain Dead after that, and Brain Dead, of course, melted my mind because what a zombie film! Yes. And then I tried down Bad Taste, and Bad Taste is such a fun little like DIY movie. But uh, but yeah, so again, we're just so steeped in this nonsense that <laughs> I really just want. I, I'm always fascinated to hear what someone who's not prepared for this stuff thinks about it. So thank you for always being the canary in the coal mine for these things for us man yeah i know it's, it's I, uh, I know it's uh, very you know beloved and and uh um it's got a really i mean the, the amount of money that they they use to make this is uh you know um not that they use a lot but i mean what they came up with and the sets they built and sets they uh they used and stuff uh i mean the hospital at the the end was absolutely amazing and uh, you know yeah. it's a, it's a it's an interesting little concept uh, of a movie. And but one of the things that I want to hear, like before we move on to Beetlejuice, um, we'll start again with you, Patrick. What are some scenes that you would uh, fast forward, or uh, and uh, what scenes would you rewind and watch again? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't fast forward any of it because it's right. all gold as far as I'm okay. concerned. But like. Um, Either thing that I, I mean, that there's a lot of stuff that I would rewind. I mean, like the thing is, like, because like mostly, like, I love the Jeffrey Combs monologues. Those are fantastic. I would watch those over and over again. So I guess that, like, especially the the uh, one where he talked about uh, where he was taken by the Manson family and used <laughs> as like a slave. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, the, like, then, like, the car starts moving backwards, and he thinks yeah. he's doing it with the mon- yeah. That's gold. Like, yeah, I guess right. that would be the thing yeah. that I would probably watch. Over and over again because that's just that's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess that makes me next. Uh, the one, the one, my one little uh, nitpicky thing that I, I don't quite like about uh, about the Frighteners is there's a few jokes in it that are really lowbrow. Mm. That I mean, really lowbrow, and they they always kind of pull me out of the movie. And I, I like lowbrow humor, but but it's just it's just like there's not a whole lot of there's not a consistent tone of lowbrow humor. It was like a moment. About the John Aston jokes? Is that what you're referring to? The John Aston jokes? Well, the, the John Aston jokes were where he had sex with the mummy. Yes. Yeah, that yeah, is that. that. Okay. Oh, oh, wow. That. That's, oh, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, great. yeah. That's not good. And, and then the scene where, <laughs> yeah. like, like wow. Jeffrey Combs pulls out, like, a like a like like an inflatable donut because he has hemorrhoids. <laughs> that I do like, though. That I do <laughs> <Yeah>. think is <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah, no. that, that one's a cheap joke, though. I, I got that yeah. one. Yeah. They're, 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 to me, they're, both those little moments are cheap. And, I again, I don't. I don't I, I'm not saying they ruin the movie for me. Obviously, they don't ruin the movie for me. But if I was editing the movie, those would be the first two things I would think. Oh, we, do we really need these? Yeah. 
you know? Yeah, that, that's one of the first things my wife said to me. He said, what, was that ghost doing what I think it was doing? <laughs> it moment, sure I was. was. Like, <laughs> I think so. Just to sure, just just to, just to assure her, it's about showing dominance. It's not sexual. Oh God, that's so much worse. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was about uh, to say, like, uh, uh, was that it, Matt? I'm sorry, I didn't want to. Oh, uh, yeah, scenes actually really that I really like about it. Uh, again, I, I think everything 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 Jeffrey Combs does in it is gold. I think he's mm-hmm. he's just so fun and watchable and zany. But I think it's one of I think it's one of Michael J. Fox's best performances. Mm-hmm. He gets yeah. to do everything. He gets yeah. to be funny. He gets to be heroic. He gets to be haunted and sad and tragic. I think it's, it's some. I mean, I think he's just phenomenal in it. I mean, mm-hmm. where he gets to really show the gamut of what he can do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I really, I really like. It. I mean, honestly, his entire character in the film and the work he does in it. Uh, my one favorite scene is really when he when he's when he's first battling the. Uh, the Grim Reaper, and he gets sucked away too soon before he finishes. It's such a great little hero moment where he, you think he's going to win and something gets yanked away at the last second. And there's that great zoom in where he moves up to, towards the camera when he wakes up with that, with that gonzo angle. Yeah. yeah I love that little awesome. moment. Yeah, that yeah. is really cool. Yeah. That, and, oh, and, and you failed to mention that uh, he gets to play the. Uh, Kind of a kind of a con man type of character, too, right? Kind of a, Yeah, you know, I, 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 I tend to like movies with con mans, you know? Yeah. I mean. It's very rare you see him play kind of an unlikable character, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I guess a lot of his characters should be. Like, even, like, Doc Hollywood is a dick, but, like... At first. And, I mean, <laughs> yeah, at first. I'm just saying. You know, yes, well, that's, I mean, that's the whole right. point of an arc. But, yeah, I'm right. saying, like, but all of his characters, except for, like, maybe, I guess, Marty isn't awful. But, like, mm-hmm. I mean, again, and his character in Casualties of War is, like, the one good person in that entire movie. Mm-hmm. But like most of the time, his stuff is like <laughs> I'm the likable asshole, and then it's like at the end of it, it's just like. Well, in in, in Family Ties, he was a uh, Ronald Reagan Republican, so we can yeah, you know, so that chalk yeah. that up. Uh, to, take that as you will, yeah, <laughs> whatever you want. Um, all right, so uh, stuff that I would like fast forward or rerun through. Um. I mean, I the stuff that I would probably rewrite and watch. I mean, I like the John Aston, like when he's just kind of like complaining he's an old man and all that kind of stuff. Like that, that kind of stuff was was funny. And the the ghosts, like the the ghost interaction was was funny. Like when the the guy gets stuck in the door, you know, and he, you know all that kind of stuff. I mean, um, I, I liked all that interplay. I wanted to see more of that. I wish um, that was that was kind of like, you know, like I said, I. I I thought that was where it was going, but, but no, sadly, sadly mistaken. Uh, so stuff I would fast forward through, um, I don't really know because I think that you need it. You almost need it all to even really understand it. So there's no real bad stuff to me other than the stuff that Matt mentioned that I would really probably, you know, that I would consider like really like cringeworthy or like, I don't, you know, I don't want to see that part or whatever. So it's totally fine. At least he kept his pants on. I mean, I don't know how that works, really, but I mean, yeah. But yeah. you see him like humping the, the <laughs> thing. I mean, let's be honest here. To prepare, uh, full full disclosure. Well, let's let, okay. Let's back up. So, so wouldn't it be boning? Oh. <laughs> oh, and you're the guy who's like cheap humor is what I would take out of the movie. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Moving on. on. Speaking speaking of segways. <laughs> 
So the other one, uh, and and you came up with this idea, Matt, of um, you know what to pair the frighteners with, right? Because um, yeah. I actually was the one that came up with like wanting to do the frighteners, and and I was like, well, we could do this and that, and the other. Just, no, we'll do Beetlejuice. And I was like, and wow. and then that ended up being fortuitous when she rewatched them really close right. together. But one of the reasons why I was sort of questioning is because. Beetlejuice is one of these movies. Frighteners is one of these like cult classics that you know didn't make a lot of money when it came out, but now it has this like kind of beloved following. Beetlejuice had a beloved following from the beginning. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, now it's grown because like the cult of Tim Burton right. has like yeah. become a real thing. It, it, like... it, it's it, it's part of our you know not just cult culture, right? Like it it's part of. You know, mainstream culture, culture almost, yeah, right? Yeah. Almost like Ghostbusters that we mentioned. And I'm like, you know, this was a 1988 films, Tim Burton film, like really popular, Michael Keaton. I mean, everybody knows Beetlejuice is a popular character. It's a popular movie. Uh, I mean, I could see how they're like kind of related, like Ghosts, uh, also done by two really great directors, you know, Tim Burton and um, Peter Jackson. Also, Danny Elfman scores. Um, Danny Elfman is in, you know, scores both movies, which I, I found interesting. I didn't even know that until I watched The Frighteners. I was like, oh, the movie, of mm-hmm. course. You know, and uh, Danny Elfman also did Minute Work, right? We watched uh, yeah. not too long ago. You just punctured a hole. Of, I was about to say that he does the spooky stuff, and then it was just like, Eddie did Minute Work. I'm like, well, no, I have nothing work. to say now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, but there's all kinds of little things too that that are similar to them. Like mm-hmm. both movies feature houses under construction. Both have janky yellow cars that almost wreck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, both have really disgusting ghosts who are horny. Horny. <laughs> 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 well, and and the 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 living like the, the the dead kind of interacting with the living, right? Like, and it's actually a, okay. Wait, that is a question that I have though. Is Beetlejuice like a legit ghost or like a demon? Because like he doesn't seem like he was ever like. Do, do we really need to know or explain? But I mean, I'm he's basically gonna come back if he marries somebody else. I don't know. Maybe well, no, he they, was they talk about Oh yeah, because he was like one of the helpers, but he he was the assistant yeah. to Juno, right? He was Juno's. Yeah, assistant. so he was Juno's okay. assistant. So I, I assume he's a ghost. And he said he lived through the Black Plague, so I mean... Alright, fair enough. He had a pretty good time during that. It's a weird name. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Beetlejuice is like, even without, like, the making it into, like, the way, like, the Beetle, like, Beetle the creature and Juice the drink, like, Mm -hmm. even if you, like, make it, like, the the Beetlegeist that they think it is, like, it's still a weird name, since I was like, is that a demon? Or, like, is it, like, an actual, like, person that died? Well, I think the Beetlegeist, uh, I looked that up. I had to find out myself, and I'll just tell you that the reason that he did that is because, uh, yeah, it kind of looks, like, demon-esque, but also, from Beetlejuice's perspective, he doesn't want to just, like, appear if somebody just says the name just like by itself so he he writes you know so it's a little bit different on the card so but like he doesn't really say beetlejuice until he's on the commercial that's just for the maitlands or whatever he's kayfabe in it yeah yeah fair enough fair enough but uh but yeah so there's lots of weird like echoes in both movies that's Mm -hmm. why i thought they would pair together and uh they both have feature adversarial relationships between humans and ghosts right they both have uh, 
beautiful leading ladies with dark curly hair. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that. Gina too. Davis, so again, yeah. visual echoes. Mm-hmm. And and Trinia Alvarado from the Frighteners. Um, it is funny. Like I didn't. I was like, Winona Ryder doesn't have curly hair, and I was like, you did not mean Winona Ryder. All right, never yeah, mind. Yeah, We're yeah. gonna yeah. Like, keep. Yeah. On. She's like Gina 15 Davis. in this movie, man. I'm I was a child. I was like five. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. She's like our age, man. She's only like. A couple you know, years older it's perfectly me. okay. It's really okay because we were that age at one point too. But I did mean Gina Davis because mm-hmm. my my love of Gina Davis is well established on this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and our love for Winona Ryder is very well documented. Very well. true. Yeah. And this is my favorite Alec Baldwin movie. I mean, I, I've never found him as likable as he is here. Like, he's his, his most likable role. He's Gosh, he looks so young in this movie, if you go back and watch. I mean, I I used to question, like, how he how the, his younger brothers look like him, right? Like, uh, Alan and, and who's the other? Uh, it's Daniel, uh, William, and... Yeah, William. There's, a, there's I'm like, another one that I Because I, I, I look at the younger ones, and I'm like, they don't look quite like... Alec, the but then after that, I, Steven, I, I Steven go back Baldwin, and see Beetlejuice. I'm like, okay, now I kind of see the resemblance. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, this was a time period when they were actually thinking about casting Alec Baldwin as Batman in, in Burton's Batman film. And you can really see that he would have been a pretty okay Bruce Wayne. No, yeah. I thought that was funny. Is like, uh, I remember when I, when I read like their short list of people for Batman, and it was like Alec Baldwin, Michael Keaton. I'm like, so basically. <laughs> like Tim Burton and did Beetlejuice, and he was like, "So for Batman, I'm thinking anyone that was in the movie I just made." So like, <laughs> I only like to work with these guys. Every, <laughs> they were every, like, everyone else sucks, but these guys were okay. <laughs> well, I, they I, were like, "Can Gina Davis play Batman? Does anyone have any objections to that?" Because we could put her on this list. Well, I I do think it's <laughs> funny that Michael Keaton, you know, play, did play Batman, and he plays more of a Joker type of character in this movie. What I was thinking about, imagine the world that might have existed if it had been Alec Baldwin as Batman and Michael Keaton as Joker. It probably would have been just as good. It would have been better, I think, personally. And and you can't really say that with a lot of, like, like alternate reality castings, you know? Yeah, this is true. But anyway, what's Beetlejuice about, Ryan? Adam and Barbara are a normal company. If you haven't seen the movie, by the way, like, you must be dead yourself. I don't know. Adam hey. and <laughs> kids kids are born every day. Kids are born right. every day. Adam and Barbara are a normal couple who happen to be dead. They have given their precious time to decorate their house and make it their own, but unfortunately, a family is moving in and not quietly. Adam and Barbara try to scare them out, but end up being the main attraction to the money-making family. They call upon Beetlejuice to help, but Beetlejuice has more in mind than just helping. So yeah, this is where they, you know, they they have this beautiful house. They die, people move in. They want to like haunt them out, but they don't. They don't know how to haunting because they never read. You know, they didn't read this book. Like you know, the handbook for the recently the handbook deceased. for the recently deceased. One of the greatest movie props of all time. Yes, yes. Um, which you could buy from Amazon for like six bucks, but it's it's not really like a book. It's just like a. It's a blank oh, pages, so you can do yeah. whatever you want. You can doodle or write notes or whatever. It's kind of funny. But, yeah. Um, I mean, I saw this several times. Like, I almost didn't have to watch this movie. I've seen it so many times. I mean, I can almost quote, you know, you know, a lot of the lines from the movie. See, I, well, yeah, I felt, no, the, yeah, I felt the same way, but it is nice to go back and rewatch them. Yeah. And I really wanted to watch them together to see how they play together. Yes. And I think that I think the movies play very well together. Yes. Um, 
But I, I always forget that that uh, the movie actually begins when you see like the studio logo with that ha- with that haunting version of, of like the Calypso song. I always forget that's in there, so it always surprises me every time I rewatch Beetlejuice. I always forget that little thing is in there. My um, brother and I got really into Calypso music for I couldn't even like tell you how long, but we were super into Calypso music because of this for several for like, like at least did you several buy years. a bunch of Harry Belafonte records and all that kind of stuff. We were children's. We didn't buy a bunch, but we had a tape that we listened to a lot. Well, Harry Belafonte. Anyway. I think I think every kid really liked these songs because of this movie. I I remember they they were yeah. big deals to me and my sister growing up. You know? Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I never met anyone else, so I thought I was the only weirdo. So that's fine. <laughs> no, no, I I definitely loved him as a kid, and so did my sister. Okay, um, rock on. Mm-hmm. It's, it looks so fun, and and to me, the, honestly, the, you know, the musical interludes and uh, I mean, my my love of musical stuff is talked about a lot on the show too. But to me, it's just the best parts of the movie. You know, I I mean, the, the you know the the Deo scene is a. Uh, I mean, it's it's just it's like cinematic smiles, you know. Yeah. Well, I, and I mean, when I was a kid, I, it was terrifying. But yeah, now <laughs> really, it's you thought so? Really? I was five. <laughs> oh yeah, that would have been kind of weird. I I mean, I was I was a bunch old, older than that. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, I was just gonna say though, not just the Harry bon- Harry Belafonte and the and the calypso music, but uh, but also, uh, I think it this is my favorite. And and probably the best Danny Elf, Danny Elfman score uh, of all the scores that he's done. Uh, I mean, the music that he writes is you know, and 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 then like the like this kind of weird. It's the not violin. really like bluegrass violin, you know. It's kind of like yeah. kind of brings that like weird, you know, kind of jaunt angle to to everything. It's just. It, it's absolutely masterful. I think that, you know, I, I don't think anybody else could have pulled off, uh, like the music and stuff like that. That was, that's in this film. And it's, it's, I mean, the, 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 the music side of it is such a big part of the film. Too. It, is. I mean, it really makes the entire movie work. If you have a different score, you don't have those certain scenes. The whole tone of the movie is completely different. Well, because there's well, a yeah. there's a dark like, and playful with those guys. there's a darkness yeah. and a playfulness to it all because of the music, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That's why, like, um, I've like honestly, because I think his first score, Elfman's first score, was also yeah. Burton's first movie. It was Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, Pee-wee, yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm. So, like, and like that, I saw when I was it was even before this, so I would have been like four probably. And, like, I've thought about it recently. Like, I never really thought about it before because, like, I I have a lot of friends who are, like, obsessive about Tim Burton. And I was, like, my whole thing is, like, there was a period of my life that is so, like, a part of my DNA. And it's, it is, like, the, the reason, like, I feel like I have a lot of the preferences that I have are because of Tim Burton from, like, when he started with Pee-wee's Big Adventure to around, I would say, I guess, probably Batman Returns. Like, that era is just, like, to me, like, kind of, like, I don't know. It's just, like, it's very specifically, like, where I feel like I got a lot of my aesthetics and stuff, like, where I, like, I got, like... Because I never, I never realized it until, like, years later that it's, like, the, my natural inclination of, like, the way that I gravitate in terms of, like, the way, like, I decorate, the way that I, like, dress, mm-hmm. like, whatever. And I realized, like, way later that I was, like, oh, basically it's, like, those, like, First handful of Tim Burton movies what? that were like brimming with like personality. Was there was there another movie besides? Uh, and I probably could look this up, but Nightmare I Before Christmas that he did in between Batman and Batman. Well, Returns? 
No, that that was after. That was like his like that was the whole thing. Is like that's when Danny Elfman and uh, Tim Burton broke up for a minute. But like, well, I mean, that he sings. Doesn't he sing or he's? Uh, oh yeah, Danny Elfman did. Yeah. But yeah, but I guess like they disagreed a lot on the music and stuff. So I guess mm-hmm. for like a little while they were like that's why they did they didn't do Ed Wood together and they got they got back together after that. But like I guess for a brief period they were like can't look at you anymore. But I was like they're for a while they're like they're. Too, well, I think part part they were just you couldn't see them differently. Like they were like they were so. I I, I, I read part of that, other. and I don't want to bring too much. I, I you know want to come back to. Um, I don't want to break away too far from uh, yeah. Beetlejuice, but I think part of that was uh, I think Danny Elfman wanted to be Jack, wanted to be the voice of Jack and sing all those songs and all that kind of stuff, and and they got somebody else to be uh, to play you know the voice of Jack and. And so, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, they they got, you know, I, I think there was a lot of disagreements besides just the music. It was, you know, kind of like, kind of like the whole thing. So, because uh, I think that he was involved and wanted a bigger role. I don't know, you know, the whole story, but I know that that was a part of it, that he wanted to, I think Danny wanted to be actually, you know, to be the voice of Jack. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to back to, uh, to, to Beetlejuice, but. Um, so, so what is it about, like to you, honest again, like what is it about Beetlejuice that 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 you know that you love so much? Like what what speaks to you about it? You, Patrick. Okay, yeah. Um, my, I don't know. It's for me. It's like again. It's just like it. I guess. I mean, technically, my whole thing with like the aesthetics came even before that. Of like, just I liked Universal Monster movies, which clearly so does Tim Burton. But like, I don't know the whole like thing of like the gothic kind of like. But like not like like but gothic but like weird and like arty and like kind of like punk even though I really didn't know what punk meant at the time like because I was five um, but like that whole kind of vibe of it I remember like being really enthralling like it was always something that it was like it just really was fun to me and like a way that like and it felt fresh and like different in a way like I watched everything like everything that my parents would let me watch I would watch but like most of the time it was like stuff that like. This that you just make kids watch, mm-hmm. but I remember like I fought to see Beetlejuice, and like I loved it, and they ended up like we watched my brother and I watched it like over and over and over and over and over mm-hmm. and over again because it was just like I don't know it was just there's, there's something about it that kind of ended up informing everything that I would end up because I mean it is it's the same I mean like kind of talked about like there's the same like horror comedy thing, but at the time that it's I guess the reason that I love that genre and that mix so much is because when i was really little that was what i had like i had gremlins and i had beetlejuice mm-hmm. so it was like you had you already had this kind of and like kind of the building blocks of mm-hmm. your taste yeah. so it's like it's very easy to kind of point to as like oh yeah that's why i love this because beetlejuice has that vibe well yeah and i mean i think that there's so much stuff that that uh you know that works for the movie uh in so many different you know um things that make it fun and interesting and and everything else but i also want to talk uh just briefly about the cast i mean we mentioned keaton and and baldwin and and gina davis and winona ryder but we can't forget all the other people that were in it like that were not like uh like Catherine o'hara like unbelievable like i don't think i even saw any other movies that she was in before and I don't think that she would have got the role for, you know, like Kevin's mom in, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, what you got? 
Home Alone. Home Alone. Thank you. And you know, without you know being in this movie, and uh, I mean, and then you even bring in other people like Robert Goulet and Dick Cavett, and like uh, Glenn Shaddix. Yeah, Glenn Shaddix is ortho. I mean, he was awesome. I mean, I, it's just unbelievable how all this cast like worked together. I mean, even like the the caseworker lady, uh, Sylvia Sidney, who played Juno. I mean, just absolutely awesome. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it's got an amazing like stacked cast of like interesting characters, not necessarily character actors, but just characters, and that makes the whole movie very memorable. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because well, no, I yeah, think the other. Yeah. I mean, it's like we're all interested about like the afterlife and all this other kind of stuff, right? I mean, and and what better way to show like the afterlife and kind of like this. Uh, fun kind of way than uh, like in Beetlejuice or whatever. Just, just the idea that it's very mundane, you know. Like, right. I mean, it's not like you know, it's it's just kind of as dull and as shitty as real life. What's <laughs> you know? uh, well, kind of like? Um, there's a movie I don't know if anyone else saw uh, called uh, Wrist Cutters: A Love Story. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of the same vibe where it's like, oh, hey, you killed yourself. Well, now you basically have to live like you know a shitty, dull existence for the rest of eternity. It's like, oh, neat. Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of that vibe, and and I think that's part of why Beetlejuice uh, kind of caught the zeitgeist in the beginning was because no one ever really seen the afterlife as being, like, just n- kind of dull. Or, and it's rather really, normal-esque. A, yeah. And well, you have those, like, Tim Burton visuals that make it yeah. not feel normal at all. Right. <laughs> yes, well, but, I mean, but, in but that... It's, but it's like, yeah, it's this great dichotomy of, like, yeah. wacky characters in very, very mundane settings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and where they take and that house. The, the and, sandworms is a thing. Yeah. The sandworms I don't yeah. understand to this day, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they take place on the side. I always forget that. I always forget that it's Saturn. That's what yeah. I always forget. And I always wonder, like, why is it Saturn? That's one detail that I love that it's not explained or dwelled upon. It just is. And I love that about movies before everything had to be a prequel and everything had to be a cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. That they just have these weird tangents, and that's just it, that just is what it is. They're sandworms on Saturn. Cool, well, and then <laughs> yeah. that's where you go. You can't leave your house as a ghost because that's where you know you'll get eaten up by the by the sandworms. I mean, and, and sandworms are in Doom, but the sandworms are in Doom completely different, right? Yes. Um, at least uh, the original uh, Doom. Uh, haven't seen the new one, uh, but I'm sure that they're also vastly different from the the car- cartoony like uh, Beetlejuice, where it's like the the worm inside the worm, you know, kind of thing. Yes. Um, no, yeah, you, also, it's, it's pure Tim Burton. Right. Like, where it's just like, it's all like white and black stripes. Like, yeah. 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 yeah they, everything looks like his sketches, which is one thing I, yeah. I, I, I didn't realize that as a kid, but now that I've seen a lot of Tim Burton art, like so much of the production design looks like they just basically shook Tim Burton's sketchbook and all this stuff just fell out of it. Yeah. That's legit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I mean, uh, I would think that of like a lot of like Tim Burton, like te- you know, because as he went on, it's like it's I, he gets more and more of his stuff, you know, put in there where the you know studio is like, go, no, you can't do that. And I feel like like Nightmare Before Christmas is just like even more Tim Burton. You know what I mean? Like every movie that he did is just like a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, like, the whole thing is that, like, I feel like that was kind of the, the bummer of, like, Burton now 
is like I wouldn't say his stuff now or like the last like decade or anything. I wouldn't say like it sucks or anything, but like it doesn't have that same like fresh, original, unique mm-hmm. vibe right. that his early stuff has. Like even like Batman Returns, like because like the original Batman is very much like him, sure, like translating these comics in his own way. But like Batman Returns is basically full blown like, hey, so you made a movie that made $500 million when movies didn't make $500 million. Mm-hmm. And they were like, so do whatever the hell you want on this one. As like the Batman Returns is basically just like a full blown Tim Burton movie that happens to have like DC Comics characters yeah. in it. Yeah. Like I think at the time we talked about, it, you can listen to our Batman episode on, on the website. It's on our show archives at video culture, video dash culture.com where we talk about Batman and Batman Returns for for our 50th episode. But anyway, mm-hmm. I said in that episode that it really was like pure un- uncut Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you if you chop it up and if you if he was a drug that you could snort. <laughs> if you, if you, if, you, if you ground yeah. him up and, and had him all lined up in rails, yeah. it would be Batman Returns. Yeah, it would be. I mean, I think uh and yeah, I definitely can see a lot of that. I mean, the the grossness and also like the uh, kind of like the the there's also like a, a weird kind of cartoony cuteness, you know, to it as well. It's like yeah. these two and, and these it, two cute and, and but like weird worlds that kind of combine. You know what I mean? Because yeah, Beetlejuice, yeah, yeah. I mean, he has those like kind of uh, you know, he has that moment where he is like a like a kind of clown or kind of, you know whatever. Where he's got like the thing on his head and it's all spinning around and all this kind yeah. of stuff and like his arms go out and they blow up to big hammers and you know and it's like a you know yeah. oh no yeah especially Michael Keaton his performance in this is like the thing is funny is like I think everybody kind of forgets that like because people like think of him as being like the star and I guess he is the star in a certain way because he like steals the movie but like he's not really he's in like. Uh, a quarter of it. He's in like yeah. 14, 14, I have it in my notes. It's like 14 or 15 minutes of the film. Yeah, he's not in it, like, he's no. not in it like that much, no, but I mean, like he just, but he's, he's so, yeah. I mean, he's so good. He's, like, he's just he, so, it's, it's he's such a tornado of personality. It's like, yeah, it's like yeah. kind of this manic, like Robin, it's like if Robin Williams was all, and again, these drug analogies, if Robin Williams was all, was all coked out and angry, that's, well, well <laughs> I can't speak for what Robin Williams was doing in the eighties. Like, yeah. He might have been cooked out and angry at the time. Who can say? Who can say? Really? But yes. But yeah. It's just. I mean. It's. It's like. Um. It's. It's Michael Keaton has this kind of like angry, like manic vibe mm-hmm. throughout his Beatles performance, and it's fun. It's silly, and it's very rapid. But it's got this kind of like angry confrontational quality to it too, which which I don't think people will actually think about until you rewatch it. Like, oh yeah. He's a real jerk in this film. Like no one remembers well, that no. Beetlejuice is not a nice person. No, I, no, I, I remember that. Like I realized that yeah. today, he's he's the villain. Like yeah. I remember yeah. when I was a kid, I thought that the uh, like the new couple, like the new family, were the were the villains. Mm-hmm. And then like, I watched it again. I'm like, oh no, they're not the villain. They they're just people that happened to rent. Like they moved into a house. Like they, yeah. they were just like they were yeah. kind of weird. Like they were, like they were yuppies, but they weren't bad people. Like. Beetlejuice is a bad person. <laughs> like yeah. Beetlejuice is the one yeah. trying to do bad things. Yeah. Like, uh, again, he's like this pervy monster, and uh, yeah. and I think the cart the cartoon the popular the pop culture influence of Beetlejuice, the popularity of the cartoon when we were kids, uh, kind of softened the pop culture imprint of what that character is because mm-hmm. he the character's a terrible terrible creation, terrible like yeah. yeah, I mean vile, vulgar, yeah, horny. Um, <laughs> 
Well, and I mean, it, 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 in the same it all, way, it all is kind of scrubbed away for the cartoon. Well, the cartoon, I mean, it's just the same way with the the Ghostbusters. I mean, the Slimer was like one of the ghosts that they had to collect, but then he becomes like their friend or something like that. I mean, yeah, it's always funny to watch the real Ghostbusters cartoon. And remember that that in the original movie, that there's a there's a phantom blowjob in it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember yes. that one too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no one remember. Oh, people man. always forget to get about the Phantom Blowjob and Ghostbusters. Oh man, oh. back to that again. I mean, didn't we I already just, talk it, about? It's just always funny to me. Uh, what is all uh, this ghosts that, and again? It's like a, it's like a weird like overlap in the, in the Venn diagram of some horror comedies. There's lots of weird sex stuff in them, which I just I just think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also like, well, that I mean, thing and, is like and, I can't Beetlejuice. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's like just say, too... Like, the, the things, things were hornier then. <laughs> like, well, the let's, issues, things were just hornier in general. Well, let's just yeah. say, too, that Beetlejuice wanted to marry, like, Lydia, who was, like, what, like, 15 at the time? Well, I mean, as, he as was, like, like... I mean, he was hundreds of years old. Well, so, right. like, and, as a, and as a little kid, as a little kid who... I I understood that on a very on a very visceral level. I didn't understand yet, but yeah. I I understood as a little kid why he wanted to. That's all I'm saying. No. <laughs> But before I knew that I liked girls, I liked Winona Ryder and Beetlejuice. That's the best way to say it. Yes. Well, I mean, and let's just say, you know, Jeffrey Jones, too. Let's not forget Jeffrey as well. Let's segue from liking kids to liking Jeffrey Jones. (laughs) Jones. That's that's not a good segue. Uh, But uh, Well, look, I'm trying to get away from this, okay? I'm trying to save you here, pal. All right? Uh, okay, well, right. well that, that was about the worst possible way to do it, but it's okay. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> we're having fun here today, guys. So, Come on. You, you okay, Patrick? I think Patrick's going to die. Know, gonna think gonna the video stream. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, this guy would... I mean, look. All right, look. Here's Edward R. Rooney, right? Yes. Like yes, being is. like trying to be like a normal guy uh, in Beetlejuice. I mean, he, he's he's almost like a cult, you know, kind of figure himself, you know, just because of all this. Because of Ferris Bueller, yeah. But yeah. but his per, his personal life made that a really really a funny segue. So yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. But anyway, uh, so to to move along, uh, so. Ryan, if you were going to rewind. Yeah, for, for those audiences who don't know, in 2002, Jones was arrested for possession of child pornography and accused a 17-year-old boy of solicitation to pose for nude photographs. So that, I, 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 in all honesty, I did not know, and I wasn't trying to make that joke. I wasn't I wasn't trying to go No, there. I know. That, that's what made it so funny, yeah. man. That's, it was that's a, a beautiful moment that I'm so glad that we, we captured. To, I, was trying, yeah. I was just no. trying to move on so we you could know, talk dude. about other things. But, but yeah, that's, we that's didn't. the beauty of comedy. That's the beauty of comedy, <laughs> man. <laughs> we cannot have made that any funnier all if right. we had scripted it out. I'm just going to sit know? over here. You guys just talk about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have one of these late, like station interruption things with like like the dog pulling the plug. We'll, we, 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 we'll be back in a few moments. Technical <laughs> difficulties. I'll just be in the corner. But but no, seriously, seriously, to get it back on track. Uh, so here's something I want to talk about right. before we get into like the rewind, fast forward. Do, do you remember what age you were when you first saw uh, Beetlejuice, Ryan? Uh, it was. Pro- I mean, it, it, it. I didn't go see it in the movie theater. We'll say that. So probably been. You know, it came out in '88, so it was probably on HBO and all that kind of stuff. In 1989, 
So if I do my calculations uh, correct, right, like uh, um, I, I, I would have been 13, 12, 13. And I, I, I would have been eight, and we we established that Patrick would have been five, right? And I but think, I mean, I probably saw it a lot more, and like understand uh, probably when I was like fourteen, and 15, I mean, whenever it was on, like if it was on USA, if it was on TBS, like I would watch it. I mean, it's a riveting film to watch. It's well, fun. My 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 point is, I think I think one of the reasons it endures for our generation is because it's a it's a fundamental movie for a lot of people our age because it was one of those kind of more adult films. That you saw that, that that parents thought was okay to show children. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about you guys, but when I first saw it, I kind of felt like I was getting away with something. Well, I, I, no, that that is legit. Yeah, yeah. That, no, that's it's fair. true. The Frighteners mm-hmm. is rated R, and Beetlejuice is rated PG. Now, this is a movie. Like I said this in the in the pre-show, nineteen eighty-eight. This is post PG thirteen era, and this movie is rated PG, even though that it has a F bomb. Yeah. It has a great F bomb. Because he really could, yeah. Like, because that, yeah. that like, thing I was saying in the like, the pre-show thing was it like it's funny. Like I've, I've used the example before. It's like the way that things have like totally become regimented in terms of ratings is hilarious to me. Because it used to be basically like children's films were G. Like if things were really bad, they were R. But everything else was PG, including like Jaws, where Jaws has like nudity, well, extreme yeah. violence, well, and gore, right. and swearing. <laughs> Nobody cared. Like, <laughs> well, that's that. That's you know the whole thing, and and you know Indiana Jones, uh, re- not Raiders of the Lost Ark, but the um, Temple of Doom. Yeah. yeah, Temple of the Doom changed that, and we got the PG thirteen rating, right? But. Yeah, uh, Temple of Doom and Gremlins, I guess, were the ones they were like, these are too much. And I was like, really? Because I saw Gremlins, or I'm sorry, I saw Jaws when I was six, and nobody had a problem with that. But, like, mm-hmm. I saw Gremlins, and nobody, everybody was like, this is too much for children. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's accurate. Right. Well, I mean, because you're dealing with adult themes of, you know, death, and, you know, there's not a, there's not, let's just be honest, there's not a lot of sexual over, you know, overtones or even undertones, right, to this movie. Except I for, mean, except for, Beetle, except for Beetlejuice. No, going into a no, no, no. Except no, there, for Beetlejuice a, of, a couple of times, there's okay. really not that much. I mean, in, in the Fair. grand scheme of things, except for the Beetlejuice character himself. I mean, yeah, he tries to lift up, you know, uh, Barbara Maitland's skirt or like, you know, tries to get a grab of her butt or whatever. And then he also goes to the, to the whorehouse. Right. (laughs) But that was all like, that was all like the one scene or whatever. Right. That was all, I mean, it was peppered throughout. Like he, he's never not a horny beast. Like that's yeah. literally kind of the hallmark of that character. It's just one thing I always, it's one thing I always forget when I go back and rewatch it is that, oh yeah, that's, that's a character trait of it. Uh, and it's just to make him unlikable to kind of, to kind of, again, to dig out of this whole of talking about this stuff. It's, just, it's all designed there to make a character unlikable. Which because is funny, they did the opposite. <laughs> yeah, because everyone... Because, again, Michael Keaton is a damn national treasure. Yes. Mm-hmm. I hit my table for emphasis on that. He's a national treasure. <laughs> yes. he's, he's, so, he's so charismatic. He's such a great performer. And one of the joys in life to me is when Michael Keaton decides to rant. You know? <laughs> You know, the, yeah. come on, let's get nuts, Michael Keaton. It's the it's, to me that's the top shelf, Michael Keaton. You know, like the intense Michael Keaton is the best Michael Keaton. Oh no, I agree on that. That's why yeah. I actually think he's absolutely wrong for Batman. But that's a different thing in a different time. But um, 
Go ahead. No, <laughs> mostly, yeah, but, 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 like he's just like motor mouth and like intense. Yes. Like to me, that's when he's most enjoyable as a performer. Yeah, and that that's why people like Beetlejuice because I mean, because that's really him with no with no impulse control, just getting to be that that id, and it's just it's it's fun. It's just so much fun watching him be a dirtbag. Yes. Yes, it is. It's one of his best performances, hands down. I mean, it, it's just uh, completely uh, transformative. You you don't even almost realize that it's Michael Keaton. Um, and he, he, I mean, he about steals the show, but he has the title of the film. So it's completely fine that he does. You know what I mean? Um, because everybody else is, you know, besides... You know, like Lydia is, and and maybe Catherine O'Hara's character Delia is pretty, pretty, and maybe Otho, pretty normal people. Uh, there are some like you know, uh, you know, eccentric, um, but everybody else kind of follow, you know, follows that you know uh, pattern or whatever. I mean, he is the wild, you know, zany. You know, slapstick, like everything, and I think that you know, I never really thought about like Robin Williams, but I mean, it's just like even if Robin Williams like maybe played Beetlejuice, it wouldn't have been the same. Like it would have been no. funnier. It wouldn't have been as edgy. He wouldn't. He would have been more yeah. likable. Uh, and, and and same thing with everybody else. Like uh, other people that have that I've heard that that I'll mention in the notes later. Like I can't, you know, imagine them doing such uh, such a riveting. Uh, captive performance uh you know of of beetlejuice and it wouldn't have been as a uh, beloved character i don't think um i i think why i think why that is and i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna use a word here i'm gonna use one word and that's because keaton is dangerous mm-hmm. like yeah. i mean like he feels dangerous yeah. like when he does that you're like oh god this guy could, could kill me yeah and that gives it that gives it an edge that someone like a robin williams couldn't have. Yeah, that he could just like life. snap at any moment. Like he's his character is very like erratic. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, to be fair to Will Robin Williams, though, I will say that is I get what you're saying. But at the same time, Williams proved in like one hour photo and like insomnia and stuff that he can. That was more cerebral. Go dark. That's still more yeah, cerebral. Well, fine, but he was still scary. Like no, yeah, he was. That, yeah. that, but that, yeah. that's a different kind of. That's a different kind of intimidating. So yeah. I, no, I don't disagree with you. Like he kills those performances. He's great in One Hour Photo. He's yeah, great in yeah. in the remake of, Ins- of Insomnia. But I don't think he. But that, but that kind of like like again like co- three day coked out like like I'm just jittering. I can pull a knife on you at any moment and stab you in the kidney for looking at yeah. me wrong. That's the energy that Michael Keaton has when he does that. And that's the yeah. energy Beetlejuice has. Like, he really comes across as, like, dangerous and, uh, and unhinged almost immediately. Like, he's a tornado that comes into the film and just wrecks shop. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, no, uh, yeah, he's the villain. It's a, very unique, yeah. it's a very unique energy. Right. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, and he so has to like, be yeah. kind of like this, you know, car salesman, you know, type of type of vibe, too, right? This kind of... You know, angry uh, car salesman. I mean, um, when you know, like when we're gonna say like our, our fast forward, like rewind moments. I mean, I don't think any of us wanted to want to fast forward through any of the you know anything in Beetlejuice. But you know, the one part that I love, my my absolute favorite scene. I had to like watch this movie, and I'm like, what what is it? What is my favorite scene? And my favorite one is when you actually first get introduced to you know Beetlejuice, and then they. You know, and and then you know, eventually, like you know, Al, uh, Adam Maitland, Alec Ball, you know, his character asks, like, 
well, are you qualified? And then he, you know, he kind of like changes. Well, I went to Juilliard. And he goes off in this whole monologue. And then, but you can tell, like, he's getting angrier and angrier as that monologue is going on. He's getting louder and faster. And what he says, you know, it's like, you know, I've seen the exorcist 147 times. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely. And it keeps getting funnier every time I see it. It's, that's that's I mean, yeah, and the, you're right. That that that's that's a perfect microcosm of yes. the energy he brings to it, and yeah. it's so good. It's so funny, and that line makes me laugh so much. That's yes. actually a meme of the of the. It's funny every time I see it that I will break out occasionally <laughs> on a on a funny video of like a, yeah. it's like a like a funny like meme video. Yeah, throw that on the bottom of just Keaton screaming. It's funnier every time I see it. Yes, you know? exactly. Just, that that uh, that, that know, is chef's it. kiss. You know, that is it. That is the essence of like. Beetlejuice and like uh, you know Keaton playing it because I mean Keaton came up with it himself. I mean, uh, like I have him. I know it's like ninety percent, ninety percent of his lines were, you know, were improvised, were were ad libbed. I don't see how he could write that. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. You know, right. like again, it just it just feels dangerous. It feel it feels raw. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it's it's just like it's it's incredible. I do get why people. Because remember, like, you can you look now and, like, everyone's, like, when he got cast as Batman, people losing their minds, like, the Batfleck thing. And it's, like, I can see it, like, if you look back on it, where it's just, like, the guy who just played Beetlejuice is going to be <laughs> Batman. Like, that makes no sense to me. But I'm, like, at the same time, if a guy can pull off Beetlejuice, of course he can pull off Batman. He can pull off anything. Because that's the whole point, is, like, he's a good actor. Like, yeah. he can go from clean and sober to Beetlejuice. So, of mm-hmm. course he can pivot to being batman because why couldn't he he's a good actor mm-hmm. yeah i always think about the they they asked they asked tim burton about it and he said that because when he said when he said michael keaton actually felt like a guy who was just unhinged enough that he would put on a bat suit and try to fight criminals that's mm-hmm. why he cast him as batman like he he's just off enough to be to feel like that would be a natural fit for him mm-hmm. so I, I always think about that when i think about michael keaton's like again like his kind of manic energy like he he just seems a, it's a little bit. There's something a little bit unhinged about his acting. Yeah, and I mean, no, and that goes fair. back to the opening scene where he's like, you know, the guy's like, "Who are you?" And he's like, "I'm Batman," you know. <laughs> which, no, totally. which, think, which, like, yeah, no, that's what, which yeah, the no. line was supposed to be. I'm the Batman, but Keaton changed it. But even that, I mean, that was just like I just think he like that thing is like that's why like I think that. If anything, you're going to point to, like, I know that, like, on his epitaph, it'll be that he was Batman, but, like, and I know he's coming back as Batman, everyone's really excited, but I was, like, the main thing that I will always think of when I think of him is literally just him with the green hair and, the, like, the <laughs> chalk white face and the black eyes, like, yeah. it's showtime. Like, that's, yeah. the, that's the first thing I think of when I hear his name. Well, it's, right. it's funny you mentioned that, because as I was rewatching this, I'm sure you guys have heard, they for years have tried to get a Beetlejuice 2 made. Yeah. And I would ask Beetlejuice goes like, Hawaiian. Yeah, please, yeah. yeah. I was like, why do, why do we need that? Why do yeah, we need we that? Need but it. as I was watching it today, I'm like, you know, with the makeup and the, and the energy that Michael King obviously, like, obviously still has, you could do it. You could do it now, and it'd probably work. They probably, yeah. I, mean, they, I know they were trying to recently. I don't know. If, I'm not sure if it got any further off the ground, but like, yeah. I know that they were talking about it in the 90s because Kevin Smith apparently. They took him like they took a meeting with him for it. They <laughs> were like long time ago. Goes Hawaiian, I, yeah. I, and I was just like, it's, it, it's all in my notes. But it's as far as 2019, that project is dead. Shelves yeah, okay. or shelves, whatever. But yeah, it's um, yeah. I don't know why we need it either. I don't. I don't see what the point of it is. I, I kind of almost love the fact that it's like its own 
you know, its own thing. I mean, there is no other movie that is that is like it. Um, I can see how it, you know, inspired so many other, like, films. Like, I don't think, you know, Ghostbusters 2 would have been made without, you know, Beetlejuice. I don't think, um, you know, Ghost Dad even would have been made without, you know, Beetlejuice. So many other, like ghost type movies where we were okay with interacting with ghosts that wasn't a thing until until Beetlejuice happened. I mean it was always yeah, like mean, a spooky fair, yeah. horror thing. They weren't normal people. Or if they were, it was like we're trying to get a message across to this person because I you know, I, I want to identify my killer or something. It wasn't yeah. like that at all. They could to try to tie it all up into a bow, and that's what I'm going to try to do right now. All right. Uh, Beetlejuice is in is very clearly in the DNA of the Frighteners. Like, it, like it's not it's not a leap, it's not a stretch. It's 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 right there underneath the surface. Beetlejuice is a foundational movie in in why the Frighteners exists. Yeah, and it's I mean I think like I said before, it's like it's in my DNA. Like it just it's. I didn't even realize how kind of influential it was till I tried to rewatch it. And it's just like, oh, my God, like I not only remember all this, but it's just like it's why I like everything. Like, it's like why I decorate the way I do. Like that thing is like I look at the Maitland house like when like uh, they got taken over by the artists. And I'm just like that also looks cooler to me like mm-hmm. personally. So what um, so what scene would you. Like savor, savor and rewind. What scenes do you, or what scene do you savor and rewind? Then Patrick. I mean, I guess because if I can only like either like one. I mean, I wouldn't like. Uh, I guess like the whole thing when like he finally come because I, I love the two sequences beforehand when he like starts to do full blown like ghost haunting destruction, but like with the very end, like when he goes full blown like trying to marry Lydia and shutting up like, like, and trying to like stop them from saying his name and making him go like all of that finale is just brilliant. I love all of that so much. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, like I mentioned the opening scene of that, like at the beginning and, uh, or, or like earlier. And, um, yeah, that's also, uh, that's also brilliant. Like, cause you don't know what's going to happen. And then it's just so, uh, so fun to like watch it unfold. Right. What about you, Matt? Totally. Yes. Well, um, first of all, I would say I, I, when I watched it again today, as I watched them both back to back, um, I wouldn't cut anything out of it because it's such a tightly constructed movie. Even though it has like tangents, it still feels like everything's necessary. So I don't think I would ever cut anything out. But the thing is, I would savor. Besides, you know, any time that Jenny Davis has one of her wide-eyed close-ups because she's gorgeous, uh, is um, is really the scene where Beetlejuice first tries to sell himself to 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 the couple. Like, where, where he's trying to pitch himself to them, and he's, like, trying to buddy up with them, and he's like, hey, we're dressed the same way, we shop at the same, we shop at the same store. Because, <laughs> to me, that's such a fun bit of, like, just verbal comedy and silliness and so much character stuff. I love that that little scene. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the kind of scene you can show to someone, and, like, you, you clip that out and show someone, and get them to want to watch the rest of the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where he's dressed, like, yeah. he's dressed exactly like um, Alec Baldwin's yeah. character. Adam. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. So, yeah, so our our scenes are about the same. I just I just wish there was just like more, you know, more Beetlejuice, I guess. Like more of him in there. Um 
But I mean, at the same time, in like in small doses, I feel like that's why he steals the movie is because yeah. like because you don't oversaturate because it's not too much. Character. You just kind of like yeah. Wow. Yeah, and also I I gotta say, and I I, I don't want to let this go without bringing this up again. But part of the reason the movie's so beloved, it ends on such a high note. Again, oh, the yeah. Calypso little scene at the end. Yes, because the secret to making any uh, people love a comedy, love any kind of comedy, is to end on a real, real high note. Like if you can figure out some way to have the audience leave, like not necessarily laughing, but yeah. smiling broadly. They will say they love the movie. Well, and, and like mom, yeah, and knowing that things have changed, but also things have changed like for the better, like either for the characters or for whoever's involved or whatever, right? Yeah, like either they learned the lesson, or maybe things are better for them, or like whatever. And and you see like, that, oh, in, oh, and you see that in Lydia, right? Like Lydia's like yeah. all depressed, like I am alone, I'm utterly alone, and then now she's like. You know she's fine. She's happy. She's riding her, you know, riding her bike, going to school. She's not wearing she all has black, friends, yeah. right? Like she's, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, and 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 the same for you know the Dietzes and the same for uh, you know the Maitlands. Like they've decided they're they're gonna you know try to live in harmony with all that because you know they didn't get to have kids, but now they get to kind of like live, you know, uh, like with this surrogate, you know, kind of. Daughters or whatever you want to call it. Well, yeah, that's yeah. like I kind of realized that when I was watching today. I was like, really, kind of the movie was about in a weird way, kind of like blending families, like which I guess was really a thing like, at that yeah. time period because the boomers did not stay together. So there was a lot of like, like divorce and step parents and all kinds of stuff. And like that movie is kind of about that in a lot in like, well, a certain way. Yeah, like, well, in a certain like yeah. in a small way. I I I would agree. Yeah, yeah. kind of in the well, background, but yeah. Yeah, it's no, it's definitely there. There's it's definitely intentional that Catherine O'Hara plays Lydia's stepmother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's definitely it's definitely uh, something that they're commenting on is the idea again of blended families and acceptance and coming together and living in harmony. But again, if you can just if you can end a movie on something that's going to make people smile and smile big, they will leave that movie thinking what they saw was great, even if the rest of it wasn't great. But in this situation, it's all good, but it ends on such a high note. Like, that little sequence at the end is so full of joy mm-hmm. that you're like, it takes you to think, oh, this movie's really, really good, to this is an all-timer. Well, and how... So it just ends on such a high note. And how can you not smile just listening to Shake, Shake, you know, by Harry Jake's Belafonte, not. right? It'll like, be stuck in your head, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely... And, you know, and to see, like, everything happening, like, see the... The stuff like the the pots banging together, and then like the the football team, you know. Uh, and the football awesome. team—that's another little clever thing because yeah. the football team was one of the few really darker jokes in the movie that they didn't realize they were dead. But even by inserting them there, it made it ties them into like the silly happiness of the ending. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes that feel better too. It's really the ending scene is really masterful. Mm-hmm. It yeah, really plus is. They, they, plus yeah, they intercut it with uh, the whole thing of Beetlejuice in the waiting room. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, and, 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 that, and you know, they the- that was actually added at the end, too, uh, because of uh, audiences, uh, because they did do that. But then the other thing is they, you know, I think that they wanted to see, like, well, what happened to Beetlejuice or whatever? Like, they didn't want to know. So that's why they gave them, like, some weird... You know, fate where his head was shrunken or whatever, right? Like, the, <laughs> it's, yeah, definitely. But it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to really bother him. Yeah. But even then, he's not. Really, it's not really a punishment. He's just like, a, I think this will be a good look for me. Mm-hmm. And that's how you, you know, yeah. it all just ends on such a positive, happy note. And that, to me, that's the secret to any good comedy. You know, because the, the comedies that people love are the ones that typically have you know really positive, happy endings. 
Yep. These are the ones that get, get good like audience yep. scores on like Cinema Score and Rotten Tomatoes. Right. So anybody, any of you script writers or directors, take note. You know, that's what I'm saying. Nobody Indeed. likes sad endings. Okay. Gonna no, it like, depends. It depends. Yeah. Sometimes no, I do. No, it, not with comedies. Yeah. Well, if you're doing a comedy, no one wants yeah, a Debbie yeah. Downer ending for your comedy. No, not for a comedy. Definitely not. No. Yeah. All right. All right. But like Chinatown, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, anyway, we'll we'll go on to that. One. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got no. There's a lot we, of weird subtext to this episode. There is. We got. Uh, we got to get to the <laughs> notes. Gonna, <laughs> I got lots of notes. Moving along. All right. Frighteners. Peter Jackson and co-writer Fran Walsh, his wife, conceived of the idea of Frighteners in 1992 during the script writing phase for Heavenly Creatures. The script was sent to Robert Zemeckis, who picked it up, and he wanted to do it as a spinoff for Tales of the Script. But, however, the script was worked over. Uh, so well that Zemeckis funded the project uh, as a full-length feature film as producer. So Michael J. Fox repeatedly blew his lines by calling the judge, John Aston Doc, the name of Christopher <laughs> Lord's character in Back to the Future trilogy. <laughs> funny. Uh, it, uh, it was f- during filming on location in New Zealand, Michael J. Fox made up his mind that he had had enough of being away from his family making movies that he decided to head back to the small screen and star in his new sitcom Spin City in 1996. And uh, so this movie is his last leading role in a film. But it was this movie because he was away that turned him back to TV because uh, he wanted to be with his family. Um, to be fair, I do love that show. Right. I do love Spin City. But go ahead. Spin City's Oof. good. Yes. Uh, the effects, like we said, uh, were done by the... Uh, Wada Digital and ILM, mostly Wada Digital. Um, but also in 1986, other uh, movies that are like this with the same sort of like blending of uh, practical effects with these like new digital effects uh, were Twister, The Nutty Professor, Mission Impossible, Mars Attacks, and Flubber. So. All? I have no recollection of CGI in Nutty Professor, but all right. I mean, I think it was when when he transformed. Yeah, uh, I guess. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Peter Jackson tried to deliver a PG thirteen rated film. However, much to his dismay, it kept rated R uh, by the MPAA. He kept sending. He kept making edits. They'd send it back, and they'd come back when the R. Some for reasons like a door was shot by a gun too many times. So Jackson changed a was so mad he changed the death scene in the movie to be more graphic in order to make the rating feel more deserving. Was that for Danvers' death scene? I think so. Believe it absolutely. There's no way it couldn't be right. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Where his head gets shot off. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. And the ghost head. I mean, it's like the they cartoon the like head? smoke yeah, head yeah, behind. Yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. To be fair, I I literally went out of my way to not spoil that before, but all right, that's fine. <laughs> hey, this 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 is hey, a, man. If they listen this far, this this is a spoiler show, man. We, we put this has been out forever. We put it's the 25th anniversary. We yeah. have a upcoming, you know, part of our website so that people can watch the films before, you know, they they watch the show, and and then they you know the title is also in the thing, so if, you know they yeah. want to be spoiled. You know, sorry. Um, and if a, man, if a movie is only good because it surprises you, it surprises you, it's not good. So, um, where were we at? Uh, Danny Elfman. Danvers getting his head blown off. Right. 
Um, so the reason that Danny Elfman did uh, this movie was that um, uh, Tim Burton. Brother. No, no, no. Danny Elfman was so oh. impressed with Peter Jackson's previous movie, Heavenly Creatures, that he offered to do the score for one of Jackson's next movies and agreed to this movie without even knowing what it was about. Huh. Fair enough. All right. Uh, the film opened the same day as the Atlanta Summer Olympics. So when Jackson realized this and told the studio, they answered, we don't, you know, he said, uh, this is going to be a problem. He said, no, we don't think so. Our research indicated that's not the case. And he said, I just thought, how in the hell do they not know? There had only been three Olympic Games held in the United States in 100 years. And yes, it turned out to be very disastrous. Uh, the, the budget for the movie was $26 million. They only made twenty nine point three million at the box office, so I'm not Stupid saying. Though, it makes more than I thought they made. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but breaking even. We talk about on this show. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. Uh, we talk about on this show how breaking even is not that great, and even like oh no, it's the, not, yeah. the the Hollywood standard of even being a moderate success is like doubling. Right. Yeah. So exactly. well, yeah, because basically the way it works is basically like. Whatever you spent in the movie, you then spend on, on um, promotion, and then basically you need to make that. And then, you, then on top of that, then the, you have to split it with the uh, movie theaters. So it's a whole thing. Yeah, no, I right. get it. It just I thought it made even less money. Like I thought it just I thought it was like half its production budget. So actually, technically, it's not that bad. Right. Well, because the studio wants to make mo- wants to make money to make more projects. So if you're just making what yeah. you did, then really it's like a bank loan, right? So yeah, right. You want to make more. The whole the idea is to multiply your yeah. monies. Uh anyway, at the 23rd Saturn Awards, The Frighteners was nominated for how many is this one for five awards and won none of them. So it was nominated for best director, best writing, best horror film, best special effects and best makeup. So It should have won what in 96 could have possibly beat it? Uh best director Independence Day, best writing went to Scream, best horror film went to Scream, best special effects went to okay. Independence Day, and best makeup went to The Nutty Professor. Okay, fine. <laughs> I will grant you. Okay. Scream, okay. okay. I will accept that. Right. But like I would not say I, mean, I guess Rick Baker would have won either way. I think Rick Baker did the makeup effects on this, and he also did the makeup effects on Muddy Professor. So we would have won it either way, I think. So like I guess that's fine. Mm. But like it's still like I like Independence Day. Don't get me wrong. Independence Day is great. But come on, man. Mm-hmm. Like I vastly prefer the Frighteners, personally. No, okay. Like, I mean, Scream, okay. I'll I'll give you that. Okay. But like the, Hey. All right. Well, Roger Ebert. How many stars do you think Roger Ebert gave it? Take a I guess. really want to believe it was at least three. I want to believe it was at least three. One out of four. Oh, come on, man. One out of four. He says one of the most one of the more excruciating experiences for any movie lover is to sit through a movie filled with frantic nonstop action in which, however, nothing of interest happens. The Frighteners is a film like that, a film that compels me to break my resolution is never to quote Shakespeare's full of sound and fury signifying nothing. It is like watching a random image generator. This is the well, time when, when I always bring. Damn it. <laughs> this is the time when I always bring up that Rob, that Rob, that Roger Ebert was a big fan of the uh, live action Spawn movie. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh yeah. Fair enough. He he gave that a good review, yeah, so it's all relative. Critics don't always know gave, what they're talking about. I, well, yeah, he also gave a good review to X Men Three, so I guess that is. Fair. I, I, I will also say, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't think either of them was very kind to almost any horror movie. Uh, you have I'm to aware of that, true. but like there is sometimes where Ebert like is like, yes, this is like this was a good one. Ebert, it's, yeah, Siskel, Siskel, no, Siskel almost hated oh, almost Siskel every horror movie that ever came out. Um, yes. right, because he he just hated gore. Like I'm like, why are you watching horror movies if you're gonna rate gore? like why anyway? Um, well, yeah, I feel like they they thought that they 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 saw horror a different way than yes. I think that like fancy horror, where it's like they were looking at it as like people reacting positively and having a good time as being like you're supporting murder, which isn't the case. Right. <laughs> they said, like, they yeah. thought all this yeah. was like glorifying stuff. They thought that showing yeah. glory was glorifying. So yeah, just remember those guys like kind of grew up in a different like sort of era, I think than, than the things. And I think that like yeah. um, the, the way they looked at it, the way they judged it was a lot for, like a lot of general audiences. Like, would you recommend this mm-hmm. to your mom to go watch? Right. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Matt. And that's, that's a good point because back then, back, you gotta remember back then there weren't as many, there there was no letterbox. There was no Twitter. There weren't, there were every Yahoo wasn't talking about giving their hot takes on movies. There were a lot fewer critics back then. So they, the critics were expected to give, to give their viewpoints on a wider on a wider range of films, mm-hmm. like you wouldn't have guys who just talked about horror films or just talked about comedies or just talked about action movies. They were Ebert and Siskel and the Shallot and and Pauline Kael and all those like superstar critics were expected to comment on everything. And when you do that, you're going to have things that are going to they're going to be biased against and biased for. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. I mean, I feel like everybody has their own biases whether they like i mean i you know it's fine i mean i i i, I mean I get, my whole thing is always like i mean i will re- read reviews especially with people that i respect but it's like i always think it's weird when people are like they don't see something because of a review or like whatever mm-hmm. so i'm like do you, so you're basically replacing that person's opinion with your own like that's weird to me well i, like, I think that i, I think that <sighs> you just have to understand uh perspective like where the reviewer is coming yeah. from and that sort of thing like uh um like like matt was saying like who are they giving a review to i mean these guys wrote for for big chicago you know newspapers and they had a nationally you know tv show so a lot of people look for them to reviews and yeah i think it's part of partial their bias but partial like you know uh they look at it like well if i'm gonna recommend this then i know you know a lot of people are gonna go see it and in their reputation is like i don't want them to come back on me and be like you recommended this movie and i thought it was you know terrible you know what i mean so that there's there's a lot of part of that as well. So Rotten Tomato score sixty six sixty six percent critics, seventy one percent audience. I still think it's insane, but fair enough. <laughs> All right, moving on to Beetle. It, well, it it is it is a long movie and it is an, it is a weird movie, and and audiences have trouble with both those things. <laughs> even even I did right. <laughs> That's okay, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, you know, um, that's all the different colors of the rainbow, my friend. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's fine. I mean, I, I like I said, I think there's a lot to like. Uh, Patrick and I will turn on I, you after the show's done recording. I know. So no I'm gonna get my beat down. <laughs> you know, like, I'm just waiting for it to happen. You know, I know. No, you you got punished enough by that Jeffrey Jones segue <laughs> yeah, earlier. That was, so that's, uh, <laughs> I'm still in the corner. Uh, that, all right, let's go. Let's go get our best of episode. We do when when the show ends. Right. Oh, it's so good. 
Uh, the studio. Anyway, uh, moving on to Beetlejuice. Uh, the studio originally wanted to call the film House Ghosts. <laughs> that's, that's all that's the worst so as a joke tim burton suggested to the studio to name it scared sheetless <laughs> which actually i like i think it's actually that's a good title i think that's actually like really that's, that's kind that's of a funny. solid funny title well, that's kind yeah, of funny it's, because it's good because yeah. the word sheet is but anyway he was he was still horrified when the studio actually considered using that <laughs> sheetless uh Michael Keaton's favorite role, uh, Beetlejuice was one of Michael Keaton's favorite roles, and about 90% of his dialogue was ad-libbed. He only appears in 14.5 minutes of the film. He came up with Beetlejuice's look entirely himself. So That's cool. uh, during the scene in the graveyard after the Maitlands uh, leave and Beetlejuice gets mad and kicks over the, the tree, originally the tree was not supposed to fall, but on that take... He kicks it and it falls down. So that whole line about nice and modeled like he that was completely ad libbed. <laughs> so Burton left it in, yeah, because it's it's absolutely fantastic. Um, yes, Christy Alley was the first choice for the role of Barbara, but the producers of Cheers wouldn't let her uh, out of her contract to take the role. So Sigourney Weaver, Linda Blair, Goldie Hawn, Laura Dern. And Linda <laughs> Hamilton were also considered. That was oh. the weirdest dartboard of people to throw. Mm. Like, it's like, Linda Blair, Linda, like, what? Yeah. Goldie Hawn, like, what the hell? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, some of those were working, like, like, Laura Dern is interesting, you know? Yeah, no, some of it's like, I'm like, yeah, no, that's fine. And then it's just like, you throw in, like, <laughs> the star of The Exorcist, who was like, how old was she at that point? Like, it's so weird. Well, yeah, it's, I, right. it's, a, it's a weird, like, meta thing, which I don't like. But yeah, <laughs> Kirstie Alley sucks, so I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, do remember that this movie was not written by Tim Burton. It was written by a guy, uh, Michael McDowell and Warren uh, Scarron. But Michael McDowell, like, wrote the original, uh, the original before it was, like, kind of reworked. And the original script was, like, really really dark like it was a lot more dark than what it was like tim burton i think like put his kind of like fun sort of spin on everything so a lot of people like turned it down because they didn't really like quite understand it at all so uh that's that's part of the reason why some of the cast is like who they got and they had to get uh you know people like jeffrey jones and <laughs> i'm sorry Jeff, but but yeah i mean it's just like he was a solid choice back then before anyone knew it's yeah, okay i mean but uh but yeah um but yeah but he still wasn't like a big you know he was still wasn't like a or Catherine even Catherine o'hara i mean she came from like sctv and stuff like that right like she, yeah you know she was that comedian canadian improv ladies basically right yeah, yeah. um so David Geffen. So this was a movie that's by like Geffen Pictures, right? So he was the person who brought uh, the Beetlejuice script for for Burton to read because Batman was like greenlighted by Warner Brothers, and then but like uh, Tim Burton was just looking for a project, small project to do, you know, before the actual filming began for for Batman. So this is the project that he did, right? Like the small project. Uh, I mean, it, it probably was. I mean, if you really, like, if you break it down, I mean, like, I feel like a lot of it was probably... It feels more epic than it really is. There's only, like, one location for most of it. Like, it's, like... And it's, like, a handful of cast members. Yeah. So, I mean... I mean, the budget was only 15, 
million, but we'll get to that in a minute. But but yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it wasn't uh uh production probably didn't take that long. And even like like I said, like uh Burton was or uh Keaton was only in it for like fourteen, fifteen minutes, right? Like so um but Burton's original choice for Beetlejuice was are you ready for this? I I think I know this actually. Sammy Davis Jr. I mean I feel like it brings a different vibe, but it could be also fun. Yeah, the yeah, it would be a very different movie. I mean, yeah, uh I don't do a good impression of Sammy Davis Jr. and a lot of people do, but I don't. But the producers also considered Dudley Moore and comedian Sam Kinison. Sam Kinison would have been awesome. I'm not gonna lie. Like I do love Michael Keaton, but I would I, I would like to see the ultimate universe where Sam Kennison did. Well, when I heard that, I was like, I think Beetle I think like Keaton probably like knew that and was probably like, you know what? I'm my character's gonna be a cross between Dudley Moore and Sam Kennison. That's I mean, there's definitely That's vibes, a good way of describing so. it, yeah. 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 Uh David uh Geffen also again convinced Burton to use Michael Keaton. So that was uh, another thing that he could see because, you know, those people all like turned him down and he didn't know what to do. So he yeah, was use Michael Keaton. So he, that's how that happened. The role of Lydia Dietz was offered to, okay, once again, here's a bunch of list of act, actresses' names that it would have been very different, but they all were like, this is way too weird and odd for me to even touch, right? Um, Sarah Jessica Parker. Brooke Shields, no. Lori Laughlin, no. Diane Lane, Justine Bateman, yeah, all right. Molly Ringwald, and yeah. Jennifer Connelly. I can see Jennifer Connelly definitely. That would be awesome. Yeah, she was Goth, in Jennifer Labyrinth and be very, all that very stuff. Happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, Goth Jennifer Connelly would make me very, very happy. Juliette Lewis and Alyssa Milano auditioned. Okay. Uh, and Milano was the runner up for Lydia. Um, but, uh, Burton, he saw Winona Ryder and, and Lucas and said, yeah, I want her. Basically. I mean, she definitely has a vibe that works. Like the thing is like, I, I think that's, I mean, he used her again, obviously in Edward Scissorhands. And it's like, I think yeah. that she has a very specific vibe for a Burton movie. Mm. So like, she's kind of perfect in that respect. Um, this is, uh, the movie where Catherine O'Hara met her future husband, production designer, Bo Welch. And it was Burton who suggested to Welch to ask her out at the end of filming. Mm. And they're still married. Uh, the Maitland's bumper sticker says, I break for animals. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there you go. Uh, so um, Otho, when he's reading, um, like like reviving the Maitland's or whatever, like doing the thing with the um, in their little seance kind of thing. He's reciting lines from the poem called The Warning by Thomas Lovell Beddoes. Hmm. So, Did not know that. Um, the original song for the dance party, like uh, instead of like Deo, was a song by the Ink Spots. But Jeffrey Jones uh, and also Catherine O'Hara like, suggested to use Calypso music instead. Uh, Solid choice. Yeah. Um, Solid choice. Beetlejuice was the first DVD that was sent out on Netflix in 1998. Yeah. Um, That's cool. And Beetlejuice won 
The Academy Award for Best Makeup, the only category it was nominated for in the Academy Awards. At the 1988 Saturn Awards, uh, Beetlejuice was nominated in eight categories and won three of them. It won for Best Horror Film, Best Makeup, and Best Supporting Actress for uh, the lady that played Juno. And uh, it was nominated for Best Director, Best Writing, Best Actor for Keaton, uh, Best Music for Danny Elfman, Best Special Effects. I am genuinely curious who beat Keaton and Burton in that year. You will have to look up the Saturn Awards. I, I didn't get. I That's did not fine. get that I'm information. Curious. Roger Ebert gave Beetlejuice two out of four stars. Ah, God! All right. He <laughs> said of Keaton's performance, he would have been more interested if the screen. Oh no, no, no! Uh, actually, uh, what did he say? Oh. So Roger Ebert said he would have been more interested if the screenplay had preserved um, the, you know, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis's sweet romanticism and cut back on the slapstick. That's not that movie. That's a different movie. You're yeah, describing right. it a completely different completely movie. Different you say you wish it was a different movie. <laughs> he's, just, he's describing Ghost is what he's describing. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's fair. Yes, it's, that's true. Yes. And uh, on Keaton, he called him unrecognizable behind pounds of makeup and said that his scenes don't seem to fit with the other action. Critics are not always right. <laughs> yeah, fair. I mean, I do think, though, it's always weird to me it when people are because like... Because he's Beetlejuice, man. Anyway. Well, it's also it's like it's, it's always weird when people are like this actor is unrecognizable under the makeup. I'm like, they're an actor. You're not supposed to recognize them anyway. Like it's just like Who cares? Eric Stoltz in Mask is like right. not look like Eric Stoltz, but that's he got nominated for how many awards? Damn. Like I don't whatever. Uh, the budget, like I said, was only 15 million. Box office 84.6 million. Thank you very much. I believe yeah. that. Uh, there was a sequel, like you mentioned, there was a sequel as early as 1991 called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, where the Dietzes move to Hawaii, uh, where Charles, uh, Charles Dietz develops a resort, and they find out they're building on the burial ground of the Great Kahuna. Which kind of sounds like so poltergeist dumb. to me. Yeah, it's, it, sounds, it sounds terrible, it sounds terrible but... Uh, yeah. I, it probably would have been awful. Uh, John, I mean, depending on who did it, it would maybe like it might have worked. Who the hell knows? Uh, a guy named uh, Jonathan Jims wrote the original script, um, but then Burton brought in John Waters to try to rewrite it. But then, like, said, "Well, you know what? Uh, why don't you stop working on that and work on Batman Returns instead?" So that's where like <laughs> that happened. And then at some point, it was in the hands of Kevin Smith. But then he turned it down to work on Superman Lives. So yeah. uh, that's which is I mean I do I do think because you just said it like if you had made if you're telling me there is a universe where there is a Beetlejuice movie that is directed by Tim Burton and written by John Waters I would kill to see that movie. Yeah, I would love I to see that. I Desperately yeah. need to see that movie because John Waters, about a guy who understands. Horny camp, not to bring you that, <laughs> but I mean, but that's definitely his aesthetic, and that works really well with the concept of Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. you know? Yes, that would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, in 2013, Winona Ryder said she would be interested in uh, a sequel only if Burton and Keaton were involved. So, well, yeah. and they, they're kind of already talking, but in 2019, Warner Brothers, like, the, the project was shelved, so... Um, I mean, and, and I don't think I don't think we really need it 
uh, by any means. And and uh, so anyway, there was a Beetlejuice animated uh, series like we talked about. It was on four seasons for AB, uh, on ABC from 1989 to 1991. Mostly adventures of Beetlejuice and Lydia. Uh, but they were more kind of uh, playful. Like he kind of had a slightly sinister, but he's n- never, qu- never as sinister as his, the main movie character. None of the original cast members played, you know, you know, lent their voice to that at all. Uh, it is not streaming anywhere, but it is available to purchase on DVD. So, yeah, I believe that. Um. The also, did you guys know this? There is a Broadway play of Beetlejuice that begun uh, writing and production in 2016, and it made a Broadway debut at the Winter Garden Theater on April 25th, 2019. However, production was ready to cease in June of 2020 to make way for The Music Man with Hugh Jackman. However, all of Broadway shut down in March of 2020 because yeah, of COVID-19. Yeah. So it was just announced. Like, And when I mean just announced, like today... Like this was what five like five days ago six days ago that um, Beetlejuice the Broadway play will return to the Winter Garden Theater starting in April of 2022. Tickets are going on sale on October 1st, 2021. So if you're listening to this podcast, they are available or should be available to I, purchase. I think it's a concept that lends itself very well to to a musical, to be honest with you. So I, I would be interested in seeing it. Yeah, yeah, I would be interested in seeing that. That'd be cool. The the initial reviews were not that great, but then I mean, I mean, but then it, it's gotten like sold out performances. So I don't mean I don't really quite understand. Um, also, this was just announced like a day or two ago. Okay, there is now an official. Build a bear, Beetlejuice bear. That's pretty rad. Yeah. I, I, I'm into that. That's pretty fantastic. It is. An, yeah, I, I'm gonna have to Google that and see what that looks like. I'm, I'm curious too. Oh yeah, it it's an exclusive. They can only be purchased as is, meaning it's pre-built. Okay, so you can't like add all the custom stuff and all all that kind of stuff. The um, it, it's it's kind of the the sort of scary but cute. 16-inch tall plush bear features Beetlejuice's iconic black and white striped suit and a voice box that features Keaton's voice saying different phrases such as, Hi, how are you? Just say it. Go ahead. Make my millennium. Say it once. Say it twice. Third time's the charm. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. And it's showtime. Yeah, I don't know what I'd do with it, but I kind of want one. Yeah, yeah it also uh, emits a demonic cackle that devolves into a growl, then a sigh, then finally into a uh, diseased cough. The Beetlejuice Bear is $52 and limited to a purchase of four from Build-A-Bear. So, I don't know if it's a limited run or... uh, But, yeah. That's pretty rad. I'm I'm into it. Hold on. I'm going to send you guys a link. Like... Okay. But yeah, it is a online exclusive uh, that you can get. So hold on one second, and I will I will send you that link in the chat since we're all on <laughs> all on the thing. So this is compelling audio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ghost with the most for Friday, yeah, green hair, white fur. 
Devious Grin. Um, so limit four per guest can be cannot be compar- uh, purchased unstuffed. A synth or sound cannot be placed inside the the furry friend. So I wish it looked a little more actually like Beetlejuice. Yeah, uh, it more looks like a bear, like a regular with bear hair. with green hair. Yeah, with spiky that's, green hair. Yeah, that's fair. But remember, it's for kids, man. I guess if you, if I mean, you got if you got some fabric markers, you could probably dress it up pretty well with like some get some green and black fabric markers if you're artistic. Yeah, and and really dress it up. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it is really the appropriately crazy eyes. Yeah, it is really uh, Keaton's voice too. And on the foot, you can see a picture of uh, Keaton dressed up as. If you look at the second well, picture, that's cool. yeah. Anyway, yeah. so it is a weird piece of pop culture, you know, memorabilia. Yeah, there you go. So, because uh, I mean, they've done uh, Build a Bear has done a lot of different, um, you know, like uh, themed bears and stuff like that. So this is their. I have a Star Wars one. Right. Cool, cool, cool. Well, yeah, we have... Like, we just have... Uh, my kid has, like... Um, I don't know. What, what did he get? One of the Paw Patrol ones. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I have one that's um, uh, Kylo Ren. Because before Kylo Ren was... Again, spoilers, but I mean for a huge movie, so who the hell cares... Uh, before he was the murderer of Han Solo, I was like, oh, I'm going to buy all that guy's merch. That guy looks uh, awesome. And then he murdered Han Solo and like, I wanted to burn uh, it all. And I was like, you've ruined my life. But Okay, yeah. okay I've, I've got, I've got, yeah. I've got to digress to a little story that has nothing to do with Beetlejuice or the story, but you mentioned the death of Han Solo in that movie. I took my then girlfriend to see the movie who was really excited. She's a huge Star Wars fan, but she didn't see any spoilers for it. So, and I didn't, I didn't want to ruin anything for her, but she didn't know Han Solo died. And she literally started sobbing in the theater. I was a little embarrassed. Mm. Because, I, I also embarrassed the person I was with, so I understand. Yeah. All right. Because, I mean, it's sad. and People were, like, taking quiet tones, but, like, full-fledged, like, ugly crying. Oh. No, I didn't sob, but I was just, like, I literally, as soon as I figured out what they were doing, because literally as soon as, like, they're on the platform, and he's like, Ben, I was like, no. And then, like, literally, right before it happened, I was like, no! And I started, like, jumping out of my chair, and, like, the girl would, like, rip me down. She was just like, calm the fuck down. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fictional <laughs> characters. Anyway. I know, but it was, mm-hmm. like, it's something that my entire life, like, Han Solo has been my dude. And it's just like, and now Han Solo has been murdered in front of my eyes, and it broke my heart. Mm. All right. Well, we're we've what a sad note to end on. We're, we, we, <laughs> we we broke our own comedy rule and ending on a downer. Uh, oh, that's getting taken out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you won't remember. All uh, right. Um. So we're we're gonna move on. So movies <laughs> recommend. We're, we're almost like a two hours, man. This is this is insane. Like. Uh, you know, for for these two movies, and I know it's a special like Halloween episode and everything. Um, but we'll let our special guest go first, Patrick. Your movie recommendation, sir. I mean, the like, uh, I mean, if I thought about it more, I could probably think of something better. But like, since the Frighteners and Beetlejuice have a certain vibe that it was really like the whole Tilt in the Crypt thing, I was like. The Demon Knight movie has a similar vibe. It's much darker than either of them, but like it has a like, kind of a fun 
but also dark vibe. So I guess mm-hmm. Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight would be my choice. All right. It's definitely not a bad one. I, and, I, and I'll go ahead and bring it all, and I'll recommend something that we've already talked about. And that's the reanimator with Jeffrey Combs, because he's so memorable in the, the, the frighteners. If you never see the reanimator, it's a horror comedy classic. Um, it's, it's, it's not really scary, but it is very funny. It's got cool, like practical effects, very quotable. If you like evil dead Two, then you'll love the reanimator. If you haven't seen it. Yeah, it's my second favorite horror movie of all time. So if that means anything to you, then yes, watch the Reanimator. I don't know. Come back to me, and I'll 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 spin You're it. The on. last one. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to come back to you. Good night, everybody. Good night. No, I mean you don't have to give a recommendation. You don't have to. Hard for me to say. Um, no, I'm not leaving this show without a recommendation and another sort of uh, horror comedy uh, movie. I don't know if I can do a recommendation based on. Um, the Frighteners, because I don't think that there's another uh, movie quite like it, and it is um, rather unique. Uh, but if you, based on Beetlejuice, if you like Tim Burton, if you haven't seen Edward Scissorhands, it is worth a watch. And I think that you know, if, if you like being in that world and that sort of like weird sort of comedy horror kind of thing, uh, and also it stars Winona Ryder, so another reason to watch uh, Edward Scissorhands doesn't get a lot of as much love. Um, as some of the other, you know, Tim Burton classics, uh, like the nightmare before Christmas and, and, and uh, some of the others and, and Batman, but, uh, I think it's, it's definitely worth the watch. So that's what I'll go with Edward Scissorhands. So I think that's the end of our show guys. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I, I hope you enjoyed us talking about these two like horror comedies. I hope you have a wonderful Halloween. Uh, be sure to watch some scary movies. Uh, we're going to be talking about something very different next time. I don't know if Patrick will be joining us or not. That's up for debate. Uh, I don't know if you'll be interested in what we're talking about. It's not a personal commentary on him. Uh, but thanks for joining us, Patrick. I appreciate it. And uh, if you have anything you wanted to say, do you want to plug your socials before we go? Sure. I mean, it's uh, Alleyway Crew, A-L-L-E-Y-K-R-E-W, on everything except for Instagram, which is Age of Apunkalypse. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, that, that, about, that about wraps it up. So, guys, I'm Matthew Estry. I'm Pat Bartlett. And I'm Ryan Acre, and thank you, Pat, for joining us again for another episode of Video Culture. And thank you all to our audience for listening. Uh, please give us a shout out. Let us know what you think. Love you all. And I'll, I'll let Matt close our show. Go watch the movies, guys. Thanks for checking out this episode of Video Culture. You can check us out on Twitter at Video Culture 2. That's the number two for two guys talking about movies like Ryan and myself. And you can also check us out on Facebook. Just search for Video Culture Podcast. Also, be sure to stop by our, our official website, video-culture.com. There we have the entire show archives, as well as articles about film. Yeah, so check us out. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, come hang out with us, talk movies. Did you like the show? Do you hate the show? Do you like or hate the movies we talked about? Let us know. Come chat with us, and let's all watch movies together. Okay, well, folks, I can do a clearance, but uh, it's not going to be cheap. 
Although I do offer a six-month guarantee. That fellow takes us totally for granted. Hey, Stuart, in or out, huh? Frank Bannister had a remarkable ability. Psychic investigator? To communicate with the dead. You, you could see spirits? Emanations are normally confined to the cemetery. You cannot push spirits around! Although they do escape. And an uncanny knack. We're gonna scare the living daylights out of your parents. <gasps> for making a profit off the living. We're supposed to be his business partners. Everyone says that you're a fraud, but I've seen what you can do. Give it up, Frank. Death ain't no way to make a living. But now... Some things put the fear of death in the living. What is happening to me? And send the dead yes! running for their lives. I've seen a figure in a cape. That was the soul collector. When your number's up, that's it. Frank, we got problems. All these murders that have been going on in Fairwater, they're gonna pin them on you. Universal Pictures and Robert Zemeckis. You're next, pal. And acclaimed director Peter Jackson. We don't stop till the screaming starts, you dig? The Frighteners.